think I've been asking about a million times. Is he going to quit or is he not going to quit? I'm having fun making up stuff. No one wants me to walk out knowing that I can still play the game. But I want to leave two years before my skills say that I can't play the game. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss my time to go. It's a lot of players say that I'm going to play until I can't play it ever again. Right. I think Patrick said that one time, that they have to carry him off the court. You know, mm-hmm. I said, shh, ain't never. Nobody going to carry me off the court. I want to walk off the court. I heard a lot of people say, well, you're going to miss it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to miss it. I don't think I'm going to miss it. All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Patrick freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, Let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. Tuned into the spoken spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell. What's good? And Eddie Ortiz. Episode 63 going full fledged, full attack to you guys. I want to thank everybody that's been a part of the live stream. We're having some technical difficulties tonight, so we do apologize for that. But we also have people that are listening on the podcast and then tuning in on YouTube every single week. And for all you guys, we, want, we do want to thank you uh, for being a support and being a part of this. No matter how long you've been a part of it, we're glad you're here tonight. Uh, and so um, I think we have a lot to talk about. I know we actually have a lot to talk about. A lot of Chiefs. Uh, a lot of, uh, obviously, The Last Dance. This is number three as far as the, the show and how many times we've talked about it. Uh, episode five and six just aired this last Sunday. So we're definitely going to give you guys our thoughts on that. we got a lot of thoughts. Well, at least I do. Hopefully you guys have a few things you want to chime in as well. Yeah. Uh, the Project 11 as well. Uh, Alex Smith's uh, documentary, his recovery, and whether he's ever going to play football again or not. And the fact that it practically saved his life, what took place in that horrific injury a couple of years ago. So like I said, there is a ton to talk about, man. We cannot wait to attack it. And again, thank you all for joining us as we go on tonight. But I want to start with something, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little honest with you guys tonight, as if I'm not always honest with you guys, but I, I'm going to try to be a little bit more transparent with you. I, I, I am someone that is, that is constantly looking for inspiration. And inspiration to get my ass out of bed every morning, which is definitely a challenge, even though I consider myself a morning person, it's still challenging. Uh, inspiration to not blow up on ignorant folks on a daily basis, whether it's, like I said, it's on social media or if it's in person, in any type of interaction, I try my best to bite my tongue because I am an outspoken person uh, naturally. Inspiration to not eat every single carb uh, imaginable. That one I need a lot of inspiration on. I'm constantly looking for motivation or something to keep me away from the, the cookie jar, if you will. And I also and definitely am looking for inspiration to properly direct this very show. Uh, whether it's the content side of things or to bring good guests on. Whatever the case is, I want to make sure that I'm giving you guys something that's unique but also authentic and genuine. Uh, Because of the fact that there are so many people out there with so many different shows and podcasts that you can kind of get lost in the shuffle every once in a while. We want to make sure we're giving you guys something. That's something that inspires me to continue to provide that to you. 
Do you know what else gives me inspiration? Knowing that the Chiefs listen to Patrick LeVon Mahomes when it comes to team building. I think a lot of fans, regardless of which team they're loyal to, believe that their team seeks the approval of their biggest stars. By asking who they'd want to add to the equation and how and how to go about building a better roster. But that's not always the case. In fact, it happens less than you probably anticipated. Case in point, look at the Green Bay Packers. And look at what they've done in complete opposite of seeking approval for their future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers. One of the greatest to ever lead in NFL offense. They've done any and everything but that. You would think that a franchise would want him, of all people, to be happy. To feel as if they ha- he has a say in what their next move or moves will be. But no. No, they, they choose a different path. Dare I say, a foolish one. The Chiefs decided to take a different approach and walk down a different path with their future Hall of Fame quarterback and Patrick Mahomes. In case you missed the story that I didn't, that I don't feel has gotten enough run that it should deserve to get, after the 2020 draft was complete, both head coach and uh, general manager Andy Reid and Brett Veach told the media that when they were prepared for the draft and when they were preparing for it, they had asked Patrick who he would want them to take at 32. And Mahomes' answer was very simple, and it was one word. Clyde. The Chiefs could have scoffed at Mahomes. The Chiefs could have you know, brought the growing narrative that, that running backs don't matter in today's NFL. The Chiefs could have told Mahomes, tough shit, young man, stay in your lane. Instead, the Chiefs decided that Mahomes' opinion mattered. That his approval mattered that he was the knowledge that he has the knowledge the understanding and capability to recognize talent and the character in a player that is absolutely necessary to not only win super bowls but to continue winning super bowls i'm sure it would have been easier for the chiefs to simply do what they felt was best but if we know anything about this regime the only thing that's been easy is following the greatness of patrick mahomes Therefore, ironically enough, it had to have made the, the, they had to have made the decision to turn to the 24-year-old phenom and ask him what he thinks is best for this team from the top that much easier for them. And it makes all the sense in the world if you consider the fact that this team is in a position to where they could go with any position and it wouldn't have been considered a bad decision. That they could take whatever seems they deem unnecessary as an unnecessary risk and still come off as logically sound. And the reason all of that is true is because of the one they came to. The one that, 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 that said one name and bam, that name was selected. Patrick Mahomes' greatness personified and the Chiefs knew that better than anyone. But that's also what upsets me. Because as, as great as Mahomes is, as great as many know him to be, I still don't think that Patrick has gotten the credit he deserves. Not only is being as great as he is, but being the reason why an historically mediocre team and franchise became the team and franchise the rest of the league now follows. Period, point blank, 15 saved this franchise, has saved this fan base, and has now taken on the responsibility of being a team leader and team builder. 
And although Andy and Veach have won me over in regards to more things than one, although Andy and Veach have bought themselves an unprecedented amount of goodwill in the Kansas City with Kansas City and the Hunt family, what excites me the most is that the quarterback has say in how this team will be built, reloaded, and moving forward. Because he clearly knows and understands what is needed to win on Sundays. I am glad to be a fan of a team that gets what it means to value a superstar in more ways than respecting his game, but also his brain and talent evaluation. So Chiefs fans, get used to being on the king of the hill. Being the king of the hill, I should say. If CEH is his first choice, if the Chiefs continue to include Mahomes in their team-building operation, this team isn't going anywhere except Florida for a second straight February. And I don't need Bart Scott to speak for me when I say, can't wait. I'm going to leave it there. Damn it, this is going to be a good show. I hope you guys are ready for this, man. I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Nothing, and I mean literally nothing, is going to stop us from accomplishing what we're going to accomplish tonight, damn it. Audio or no audio. Audio no audio. You're gonna, we're going to start learning sign language in this bitch if we have to. I'm telling you guys, it's going to be a fun show. When we get back from this break right now, we're going to be talking about The Last Dance, episodes 5 and 6. I hope you guys are ready because, like I said, I watched these episodes a couple of times to make sure I didn't miss any detail, and I am so excited to give you guys my thoughts on this and hearing Trevor and Eddie's thoughts on it as well. We will be back for that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge. Again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two, I am your host Lance Twidwell here inside the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell good. and Eddie Ortiz. Hey Eddie, real quick, if you could um, let everybody know because uh, I, I heard that you're hanging out with the second greatest, greatest player of all time. Is that is that true? I already's like looking down upon you right now. Is that no. is that factual? As to what I know, LeBron is in California right now. Okay, so, so you're in California with Michael Jordan, correct? No. Okay. I'm not. I'm not with the second greatest, but I'm with the the goat, oh. the one and only. So you're with LeBron? No. Oh, I thought you said goat. I, maybe I misheard you. I'm confused. I don't know. I'm anyway, regardless, Eddie's hanging out with Michael Jordan supposedly, and from the looks of from what I'm seeing from my screen, it's it looks like Michael accepted you into his home. Is it? It can't be the house in Chicago because he can't sell that one. So I know he's not over there. It's well, you got to be at the one. Oh, man. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Well, maybe you can be his realtor because his realtor sucks. Exactly. So, uh, episodes five and six, 
uh, took place this last Sunday. And, and if you guys have not watched this series, this docu-series to this point, I don't know what the hell you're doing. It's incredible, man. It's not like we, don't have, it's not like we have a, a plethora of sports to be going around right now. So even if you're not a basketball fan, I think this is really good for you to learn and understand about the history of one of the greatest dynasties in, in American sports history. It's just something to appreciate. But nevertheless, for us basketball fans, this has been nothing short of, of very, very entertaining content, whether you agree or disagree with how things have gone. Uh, it's it's something to definitely uh, chew on for an entire week at a time. And and, that, and that's what I love about this the most is that it's really giving us an opportunity. A lot of people a little bit younger than us, uh, right at our age range and down, that did not get to witness uh, this entire uh, span of Michael Jordan's career. I mean, Trevor and I, we, we got to only watch the tail end of the, the dynasty. I remember uh, when Michael left initially, I was very young, and then he came back. That's when I really started to be able to pay attention to basketball. I was around seven, eight years old when that all started yeah. to take shape. So that's the only times I can really reflect on the, the dynasty. But there was so much before that, and it kind of bounces back and forth in case you've missed it. But I want to talk to those that have been following this thing with us all along and have been listening to our opinions all along. And, and I really want to you know, break this down. And in fact, um, I'm, I'm going to give you guys my thoughts, and then I really want to get Trevor's thoughts on this as well. And I want to take too much of the time on this, but yeah. I, I really did have a lot of detailed thought and opinion on some of this. And I want to start immediately. I, I, I absolutely love the way they began with Episode 5, the 1998 All-Star Game. From the future, future Hall of Famers talking shit in the locker room to David Stern essentially begging MJ to come back for another season as he handed him his All-Star NBA MVP trophy to the most important part of the first six minutes. And that was the MJ and Kobe segment. Yeah. Seldom do we get the opportunity to witness two greats that match up so perfectly yet at opposite ends of their careers match up in any sport ever. But for a moment, we got that with MJ and Kobe in their careers. And as they show them going back and forth at each other on the court, as a much older Kobe reflects on those moments, I couldn't help but get emotional. And it wasn't just because of the tragic loss of Kobe, but seeing such competitors that, again, were essentially the same player in so many ways battle it out. It was simply beautiful to watch again. Converse and Adidas absolutely fucked up by not taking MJ. I, I understand that there's back then it was it was unheard of to give an NBA player so much money at the time, but Nike gave him a quarter of a million dollars for a reason. Yeah. And MJ better thank his parents for the rest of his life because they were the ones that convinced him to stay to go to Nike. He didn't want Nike. And apparently needed to converse and Adidas want him. So it was a beautiful situation that played out for uh, Michael Jordan as far as the shoe end of things. Also what when in the fuck did Justin Timberlake have to cut grass and do odd jobs to get himself some Air Jordans? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the motherfucker wasn't even 18 when he was a part of the Mickey Mouse Club and was doing TV spots as early as 11 years old. So unless he was using my dude Bradley Dowell from uh, Twitter, his line, one pull no primes as a toddler, I call bullshit on that. And then we go to Spike Lee's Mars Blackman character, which was so odd, but it really worked. Yeah, it was unique. Yes, and it helped the Air Jordan brand grow in the urban community as a level at a level we have never seen and probably will never see again for a certain uh, athlete. I mean, yeah. it, was, it, it was so unprecedented what those small little things like that were able to do for the elevation of, uh, LeBron, uh, of LeBron, Michael Jordan's career as far as the, the merchandise sales of things. Mm -hmm. And then MJ absolutely broke his ass off in the '92 Blazers. Uh, broke his ass off in the '92 Blazers during the finals. I, those 
five to six highlights they played in that little snippet. The Blazers had no no reason to even be on that court. It was embarrassing. Yeah, it was a bad team. But can we can, can we contextualize something just for a second? That Blazers team was trash. I mean, trash, trash. Clyde was old. That Blazers team won 57 games that season and got the one seed in the West. Do you know how many times a team that's won fewer than 60 games in a full 82-game season has won the top seed in the West since 1992? Five. And only one of them won the championship. That was the 2009 Lakers. That team had dudes named John Jerome Kersey and Buck Williams in their starting lineup. Now, Clyde the Glide was a scorer, no question. He was averaging 25 a game that season. But he was in no way at the level of MJ or Pippen and was far and away the Blazers' best player. It wasn't even close. That team wouldn't even get a top six seed in today's Western Conference. Now, as far as the dream team portion is concerned, look, we, we've all heard about the Isaiah Thomas got iced by MJ theory, and we've all heard how Isaiah was done wrong. Stop it. Please stop it. What so many seem to forget or fail or realize is, first off, that wasn't MJ's call initially. I do believe MJ had some say and how the team was constructed, but it wasn't just that MJ didn't want, didn't like Isaiah at the time. Isaiah burnt bridges with several of the other players on that team, including his good friend Magic Johnson. And the rest of the stars knew it and was going to go even more. It was, they, they knew it was going to be even more competitive in their practices, which was even more than the actual games. The last thing any of them wanted was a bad apple in the mix. They wanted to have fun talking shit and kicking the world's ass while doing it, and I can't blame them for bringing along the baby-faced assassin when them do, with them doing so. But, but isn't that ironic? I, I want to point this out for a second. Isn't it ironic to anybody else how it was okay or overlooked that MJ wanted just to have fun with his buddies? It's almost as if they didn't hate each other after all. Yet I constantly hear that all they all hated each other in that era. They weren't buddy-buddy like the stars of today's NBA. That's not what I saw in that episode, unless, Trevor, you, I mean, did you see something of, I didn't see? A lot of them are his golfing buddies. You know what I mean? During the finals, like Danny Ainge in the 93 yeah, finals. Right, right. Funny how that got overlooked, too. <laughs> MJ and Pippen were absolutely wrong in how they treated their teammate, uh, Tony Kukoc. Yeah. In the Olympics. Um, they broke it all down. I'm not going to break it all down for you. But I, I'm not even talking about how they absolutely embarrassed him on the court. That's fine. You can do whatever you want on the court yeah. as far as outplaying him. I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about off of it. Calling him soft and saying shit like he's not good enough for the NBA. Knowing damn well that he is. And, and it's just frivolous. And a lot of that was jealousy from Pippen, though. Absolutely. Because he was going to get paid more than Pippen at that time. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Is that, sorry. You know, no, you're fine. It, it, Pippen, is, Pippen did deserve a new deal. He had a right. seven-year, $18 million deal. That's ridiculous yeah. for a superstar talent. That No one should take that contract. Yeah, he was second best player in the league at that time, pretty much. Right. And, and, and instead, instead of the vitriol being pointed at the correct people, which is the front office of the Bulls, you know, and, and I get it. You know, Jerry Krause was fawning over Kukoc. He wanted Kukoc. He wanted actually him to be the future of the Bulls. He's a solid player. But the problem doesn't lie with Kukoc. Even Kukoc to this day in his 50s is sitting here going, yeah, I really don't know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was just playing basketball, and I was really good at it, and, I, and, and here I am getting hated on by these guys. I'm about to play a full season of basketball with. Mm. And again, I get that Pippen deserved a new deal, but to tear down an innocent bystander due to your frustration with the front office of the Bulls is simply immature and unacceptable. 
Now, this is something I really want to get into when it comes to Michael Jordan as the person. Again, this is why I think episode may episode five may have been my favorite episode to this point. We have the political side of things rear its ugly ass head into this documentary. Back when MG didn't even initially come out and support Democratic nominee for North Carolina's governor, Harvey Gantt, we, we, he went up against the blatantly racist Jesse Helms, so naturally everybody thought MJ was going to support Gantz. And then when people were asking these questions, in passing, MJ did use this line with his teammates, quote, Republicans wear sneakers too. Buy sneakers, yeah. And people started to use that line against MJ, not even understanding the context of it, which was factual. I believe MJ when he said that he... That he, he when he said those words uh, in jest, just like I respect him for standing strong even to this day, that he never saw himself as an activist, just as a basketball player. And to me, that's okay. If your lawyer or school teacher said that they don't see themselves as activists, are we losing our shit? No. Just like when a world famous athlete, that lawyer and school teacher can also be activists, which is great. We see it today. LeBron James just talked about Ahmaud Arbery. He broke it all down on his Instagram. That's LeBron's choice. Just like it's MJ's choice to say, you know what? I'm not taking any side here. But even with that considered, he still donated to Gantz uh, a campaign against Jesse Helms. You got something to say to that, Trevor? No, no, no. He, I think he's donated to both sides, just like even with other controversial things with you know involving race or the law he'll, he'll donate money to the law and to that family or that charity so he's kind of he definitely is catering to both sides almost every situation he's ever been in with you know with any controversial or act you know thing where he should be active you know an activist for he, he panders to both sides so he, he to me it just feels like mj just wants both sides to like him continue to like him so he can you know continue his his franchises and his money making abilities which is it's a business move, and I get it. He's a he's a walking business, you know. So, yeah. And I and I know MJ's with us tonight, you know, friend of the show, absolutely uh, hanging out with Eddie. Um, and I and I'll ask for Eddie and MJ's thoughts in just a second. But I, I really want to push the this narrative home that I defend MJ to the death on this. Yeah. That MJ's being true to himself by saying these things, and he's been consistent the entire time. I remember even being a kid, and, and I remember asking my parents, I'm like. So what is, who is Michael Jordan? Like, I knew the player, but, like, we didn't know anything about the man. I was always so curious because you would think somebody that's so much in the limelight, and he was the biggest athlete in the world at the, in his peak. Without a doubt. And, and we didn't know really anything about the person. Now, I do believe that would be different if he played in today's era because of social media mm -hmm. and just the coverage which we'll get into a little bit more about episode six. Mm. But I, I really hope that you guys understand that, that these guys don't owe us shit. They, they really don't owe us a damn thing. We, we as a society, I don't want to get on the soapbox here, but I'm kind of already on it. The, the thing about it is, is these guys owe us nothing. They, they, they have a job. It happens to be in the entertainment business. Therefore, we are entertained by the product they give us. Outside of that, there is nothing that we are entitled to. They are human beings just like we are. If we want to flip that around, do we owe them anything? No. These, these athletes, they don't care, of course. But let's say they did. Let's say they come knocking on your door. All right. Show me who you are. You're going to say, go fuck, go fuck yourself. Can I have an autograph? That's what you're going to do. You're not going to open up your personal closet and show them their skeletons. That's the point is that 
MJ did the right thing by saying, no, I'm not playing your guys' game. This is not me. I'm not an activist. Somebody else is. LeBron is. That's his That's his lane, not mine. So I, I salute MJ 100% for that one. Congratulations as you look at Eddie Scalp. They begin episode six with the seriousness of MJ handling of the media and fan attention. Now, this is pretty gritty in itself. Mm. Quotes from him and others during that time in his career talking about how no one understands what it's like to be Mike or Mike always had to be on and he always had to perform. And in 1997, while laid out in that five-star hotel room smoking a stogie worth more than my car, said that he was essentially at the point of where he was done with that life. And I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I defend MJ on the political side of things, I don't feel bad for him one bit on the other side of this. And I'm going to explain why. And I don't want to sit here and pretend as if I'm, I know what it's like being famous, let alone MJ famous. Because I don't. But with fame comes fame. You can't be MJ and not expect to be constantly in the limelight. It comes with the life. And this is exactly what I was speaking on just a week ago about how there is no way in hell MJ could have handled the media, social media, fan expectation onslaught that LeBron has had for the last 20 years. There's no way. He showed it to us. Even from then to right now, he talked about it. And look, Chuck, Malone, Clyde, and all the glove, and all those guys may have missed their opportunity to meet MJ in, in the finals. But I, this was my favorite part of episode six. The homie with the peach perm absolutely owned yeah. MJ's ass in quarters. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that we lost this guy. He passed away just before the documentary was starting to get filmed. Really unfortunate because I really wanted to hear that story. Uh, they had the security. Uh, the, they had the, they had to get security to remove the security because he pissed MJ off so bad. He lost him again. MJ said his stuff rolls, saying like he rigged his quarters. And dude says in response, "Yep, and this monkey's rolling right in my pocket, bro." He body bagged MJ quarters. <laughs> he did his own MJ shrug, dude. That, that, was, that was the baddest part. That was epic. That might have been the best scene of this entire documentary. Yeah. Because I wasn't expecting I've never heard that story before. I never even knew this guy existed. And he had the drip, dude. He had the curly mullet going on, the peach perm. He was like, he was just this badass old white dude, and he's beating the shit out of the best basketball player in the world. MJ the was pissed, too. You can see in his face. Oh, dude, he walked he was out. so mad. Gave him his dollars and everything. I think it was like 20 <laughs> bucks. Yeah. But that showed the competitive side of MJ and how it pissed him off to even lose in a game of quarters. That was so revealing and so awesome, man. I love that story. Like, we haven't got to, like, really know him as a person, but you can see the human side of him in those moments. That was so awesome and so raw. And then we move to the, quote-unquote, Jordan Rules, the book uh, by Sam Smith, uh, who was a Chicago writer at the time and had a plethora of relationships and sources throughout the Bulls, Bulls organization and locker room. When some of the quotes like, quote, dirt on MJ began to come out in the 92 season, even MJ to this day claims that it was Horace Grant that began sharing with Smith things from the inner circle, so to speak. People even suggested that it was due to Grant's, quote, being tired of living under MJ's shadow. There's even rumors that came out about how MJ wouldn't let Horace Grant eat after a bad game. That's just, that's well, he was insane. Trying, he, was trying to force him, he was trying to force him not to draft Horace Grant originally, too. Yeah, obviously Grant still denies to this day, and he did. He, he definitely denied it. And even yeah. B.J. Armstrong said that there's no way it was just Horace Grant feeding Sam Smith MJ's dirty laundry. There's, there's no way it was just Horace because yeah. of how secretive MJ was naturally. But one thing was for certain, 
there were individuals that were talking and for a time split red on MJ's white glove reputation and legacy. Like they they were out there to to get MJ to look normal and look human and expose him a little bit. Whether it was jealousy, whether it was not wanting to live under the shadow, whether it was the way MJ was handling things emotionally or beating his teammates up, whatever the case was. There were people out there talking to Sam Smith, and to this day, we know that Sam Smith did not make any of that up. Whether it was just Horace Grant, whether it was Horace Grant and a few other teammates or friends, it doesn't matter. The fact is, we were learning more about MJ at that time, right at the peak of his powers, and it was very revealing. And then it moves to the 93 season, where the Bulls were trying to become one of a handful of teams that have ever had that ever got to re- a three-peat. The question is asked to David Aldridge and MJ, who was the Bulls' biggest hurdle in, a three, in the three-peating? Their answer? The New York Knicks. Yeah, I said that correctly. The Knicks were comprised of a starting lineup of Patrick Ewing, John Starks, six-point-per-game Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, someone named Charles Smith, who averaged 12 points and five rebounds that season, and a 31-year-old Doc Rivers. Now, for that time, it, it was a pretty solid squad. I will say that for the time. But three of their five starters averaged 10 or fewer points per game and was the two-time defending champion's biggest hurdle? Times have changed, guys. Yeah. Despite that fact, the Bulls found themselves down 0-2 in that series. And you could see it, especially in Game 2. MJ was absolutely gassed. Shooting 38% from the field, 1-for-7 from 3, and only one assist, MJ was struggling. And then the media finds out that MJ, his father, and some friends went to Atlantic City to gamble and get his mind off basketball the night before Game 2. Rumor had it that he had been spending, he had been seen gambling in Atlantic City at least till 2 a.m. of game day. Just for clarification, that was, that's a four-hour drive. Four-hour drive. Just letting you know. He, he didn't get back at midnight like he claimed. Now, I'm not going to knock MJ for getting out and clearing his head, but two points must be made here. When he said it was his, dad, his dad's idea, too, which I don't buy either. But, yeah. MJ struggled in game two, and you could absolutely make the case that it had everything to do with the Atlantic City trip. And point number two, MJ felt the effects of an era in which he could absolutely completely disappear in plain sight. Could you imagine MJ out till allegedly 2 a.m. the night before a pivotal game two in the Eastern Conference Finals in today's world ran by social media? Shit. We, we have TMZ releasing footage of an anonymous bartender recording MJ out and about. And yes, MJ broke no league rules. But how many times in this documentary have we heard of seeing MJ worn out by the life and fame? No chance in hell he could have gotten away with living that way and playing that way if he did it in a big game like that today. But that's not the only game he struggled in that series. Nope. In fact, it got worse in Game 3. And what's funny to me is how this documentary tried to make it seem as if MJ bounced back in Game 3 with back-to-back buckets, dropping for MJ in that game, then followed with an array of tough guy highlights between Pippen and Starks, then a couple plays from Pippen and Grant, and so on. The point is, the Bulls got back into that series with a 20-point win deficit over the Knicks, and MJ had barely anything to do with it. They literally showed us two of MJ's three made buckets that night. Yes, MJ went from 38% shooting in Game 2 with one assist to three, three of 18 from the field, scoring 16 of his 22 points from the line. MJ struggled, yet the Bulls prevailed and ultimately won the series as if... Trevor, hear me out. Teams matter in team sports. Yeah. Can you mute MJ's ears real quick? I don't want him to hear that. He's fine. 
Like the rest of history and the media, for that matter, they tried to sneak MJ's low points into a dark corner, hoping no one could ever notice it. Just like they conveniently glossed over MJ's gambling issues and debts. And before the 1993 finals against the fun yet not great Suns, MJ breaks his silence with the media again and inconvenience no one, let alone LeBron, gets in today's world by handpicking his friend Ahmad Rashad to interview him. MJ not only denies any gambling issues in that exclusive interview, but also hints at retirement in the finals during a potential three-peat at 30 years old. That's the interview where he's wearing his shades, right? Yes. Yeah. What is that? That's kind of a sign there, too. I don't... Yeah, that wasn't criticized. Hiding his eyes. Way. Yeah, hiding his eyes in interviews is not a, not a good look, to be and honest. I, and I hate to bring up LeBron again, but imagine him doing those exact same things. Yeah. He gets criticized for doing nothing or raising money for a decision. Yeah, his TikTok wasn't good enough. Back to the Suns. Yeah. A fun team out of Phoenix that could rack up points better than literally anyone else in the league that season. Charles Barkley snatched the MVP from MJ as well. But here's the problem that no one talks about when it comes to that Suns team. They were ass on defense. The worst. Ninth worst defense in the league, giving up 107 points per game and two-point two point shooting at a premium. Worst that, defense in the, in the playoffs. No, worst defense. They were giving up over 111 points per game in the playoffs. They made the finals. Not only that, the Suns roster was a joke. Outside of Chuck, they had a bunch of guys. Kevin Johnson was a solid player, averaging 17-8. and eight. I'll give him that. But was also an undersized point guard that was far from stardom. Something called Mark West, who averaged five points per game. Yeah, he started for them. Cedric Sabalos, that ended up on five teams in his career, and Dan Marley. Dan Marley, who at the time was considered a good defender, who didn't make the defensive second team, was guarding MJ and looked like an old man without his cane playing defense. And it was embarrassing, and to think that he was the best chance the Suns shows just how bad the league was as far as talent across the landscape at that time, and how the Bulls had everything going for them at that time at the same time. But even with all that considered, the Suns won Game 5 and forced another game in Phoenix, then squeaking out a one-point victory in Game 6 to get their 3 P. which, by the way, ended with MJ literally walking down the court and laying it up with a contention, and then John Paxton dropping the dagger with seconds remaining. Teams matter on both ends. And then there's a quote, and this is where I'm going to end it all off. MJ said something I had to rewind like four or five times at the very end of episode six. Almost the very end. It was like two minutes left. He said, when you try and do something repetitively, you lose some of the hunger and some of the edge. End quote. That tells me MJ was reflecting on where he was at and how physically and mentally he was done. After year eight. After only three final runs. Imagine that being said today. Imagine LeBron saying that even in year 17 or after his ninth final run or his eighth straight, it's crazy how convenient narratives can be. And what did I learn overall in episode six? MJ was a very sensitive man. A man that didn't want to, nor could he handle the pressure from the media and the demands upon his body and brand wore him thin. Oh, and I, I love the end of episode six when MJ is telling Ahmad Rashad as they're heading to the United Center to face off of the Nets in the 1997-98 playoffs that he wants to leave the game, quote, two years before his skills diminish. And that, quote, he doesn't want to be carried off the court when he's done. He wants to walk off the court. Oh, and he also mentioned something about he won't miss the game when he leaves. Again. Imagine those words coming from the mouth of a 29-year-old LeBron in the midst of a three-peat. Crucifixion. 
Trevor, let's get your thoughts. Yeah, you covered a lot there. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm just going to go off the bullet points of what I saw and what I took from it. I think the loudest point, obviously, was the inability for, for MJ to withstand the pressure of the media. I mean, it was so – I think that was the, the main thing that they were pushing out there. And there's probably so much more that wasn't even – he didn't want on there that, you know, we could have obviously seen. But obviously he has the last call for, for everything that we've seen so far. Um, which is convenient, but uh, yeah, I just the whole time you watching that five and six, it's just you can't help but compare MJ to what he was going through at that time, and compare it to the stars of today's. You know whether you know whether would MJ have a burner account too like KD today, or would he you know be criticized to the likes of LeBron's. Um, I get it, like you said, him being followed around by TMZ would have been something to see, man. Uh, him like just like him not wanting to talk about doing cocaine on the bus and stuff with all the guys you know in the, in the latter episodes, we all know he was partaking in a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as him not being able to handle the, the the media was the biggest thing to me, and then the the leadership, if you want to call it that, the the when when Kukuk was was being introduced into the team or or was even being talked about being picked up by the Bulls from from ownership, um, the fact that they were trying to belittle the guy that was possibly going to come help in which did help them in their dynasty was a big part of the last run there um was just i, I can only imagine the the scrutiny that any other star today obviously we, we have to go with lebron route because that's the only com, com, comparable guy right now or i mean because kobe obviously took that same route with the um in style that mj had as far as kind of being really critical and not in, in inviting type of leadership you know which which worked i guess in a sense um but when they were down that that's that type of style. Just you, you're kicking players when they're down, and you're already down. Which MJ didn't have much down moments as far as when they were finally reaching that success. But yeah, comparing that to to LeBron today, if he was, you know, mocking and belittling a guy that they were trying to get on their team, you know, would just be such bad. It's such backward logic to me in my mind to to belittle and and and, and make the guy vulnerable. That you'd you'd want to build up the guy's confidence that's going to come join your team too. You know what I mean? Because if we're playing pickup basketball and I'm picking you up. I'm not like, God damn it. I got to pick up Lance. You know, I mean, we all know Lance sucks, but let's come on. Might as well. Mom said I got to put you on my team. You know, it's, it's that kind of mentality just didn't make much sense to me, even though, like I said, Kukoc did come over. And, 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 you know, and him being also a foreigner, you know, being introduced into an American team and then being like that, them two of the biggest stars in the league being like that, it was just – honestly, I felt bad for Kukoc, man. I was like, God damn, like that's – that's a new guy coming into an entire different world, and his the two best players in the league at that time that he's joining the, uh, the team on are, are, are treating him like that. You know what I mean? So that 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 was pretty offensive in my mind. I mean, I get it. Like it was a tough mentality, and all the old heads are going to get mad at me and call me soft for, for feeling that way. But I just don't think that type of logic works when you're wanting to build team chemistry. And eventually they did. That's fine. They won championships together. That's fine. Kukoc was a good player, um, one of the first good European players to be introduced into the NBA. Um, but yeah, and as far as uh, the competition, <laughs> I mean, I know they were showing mostly just the clips of MJ and his scoring, and then and, and Pippen and his scoring, and they're all their highlights are for their team for the most part. But anyway, look, I'm not some historian. I'm not going to go there into the how watered down the league was in the '90s. But if you, anyone knows the talent pool of the '90s compared to the talent pool of today, we can talk physicality. We can go there. We can we can do that. We've had many mean lines. I've had this talk numerous times off air. Um, physicality doesn't make the, the league better. 
right? We had guys tackling MJ and, and clotheslining MJ. I don't give a shit about that. How does that make the league better? Yeah, that, may, that means you had to go through more and, 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 and as far as, you know, earning your points. That's fine. But that didn't mean the talent that he was going against was better. Right, we've seen he didn't. He wasn't going against you know the likes of Kawhi Leonard's and and, and Kevin Durant's and Steph Curry's. You know, the, those guys' talents supersede any talent MJ ever faced in the final. I don't care if you want to talk about Karl Malone. We never saw Karl Malone be successful without Stockton, and, and it's always been a team thing. And that that to me was the main thing. Like you talked about, was the team aspect of it. How much MJ needed all these guys. You know how much when MJ mental was out the window he wasn't really there regardless of how good he was doing or bad poorly he was doing pippen was always there to pick it up and when pippen had the migraine you know other guys were there to pick it up so uh, and i also heard uh, um today i was actually listening to an interview with uh, uh horace grant he was on some barstool interview and he was talking about his favorite memory when he was with the bulls was in that Blazers series and it was when phil jackson pulled the starters he pulled mj horace grant all the starters out of the out of the, the lineup because they were getting they were getting beat they're down double digits, and he put Pippen. He put Pippen and all the bench, all the bench players, uh, and role players in the lineup, and they immediately came back and took another double-digit lead in that game. So what that tells you that's not something you'll see on that documentary. You know, they showed the the cool clips from that Blazers series, who was not a good team. We can all anyone that knows that that time in that era that was a obviously Clyde Drexler was a hell of a player, legendary player, Hall of Famer, no doubt. But that was it. That team was scrubby. There was nobody on that team. So when Horace Grant said that, he talked about even Horace Grant said this is not something you'll see on that documentary talking about, you know, anything outside of the highlights. When Phil pulled them and put the bench players in and they brought them back, that's not something you're going to see. So I just like hearing that, that side of it, that being his favorite memory. And that kind of speaks volumes because you almost hear MJ talk about that stuff when it's a team, you know, uh, um, subject it's, it, when it's not talking about him and his personal success. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you, you cover a lot of it, but as far as taking away, those were kind of my two biggest things of how MJ, his, I can only imagine what he would go through and how much earlier he probably would have retired if he couldn't mentally handle that back then with just, you know, the moments of them after, you know, pre and post game. And that was all he really had to deal with pre and post game interviews and being bombarded at practices here and there. Not social media, not Twitter, not someone taking pictures of him while he's out to eat with who God knows who or doing God knows what with some shady character at, you know, in golfing tournaments or at the casinos or, you know, paying off people that, you know, he wanted to keep quiet. How many of those people would have spoken out nowadays, yeah, you know, if they that, got paid? That's that's a part of it that, that, you know, is rather upsetting for me. I feel like we even get a little robbed of it. I mean, I know uh, it's speculation. From, well, no, from the, from the from the side of in, – in most people's lives – your wife and your mom know you the best, or at least people that have been around you the most, right? Right, right. And what upset me about the – they clearly glossed over the fact that he had gambling issues. He, he tried to downplay it several times during that little segment of time. Yeah. But the part I did not like the most of all of that was the fact that not one time did you hear from his mother – uh, in that segment, you've seen his mom in other parts, like when it talked about you know going with Nike and things like that, how you know she thought that was the best idea, and she's talked about other things throughout this series, but you don't hear her one time about any of that. Right. Okay. Second of all, unless his wife just doesn't want to be a part of this docu series, wouldn't you think that'd be the person you'd want to hear about the from the most about stuff like this? You know, get her get her thought on it. But but see, I feel like, and I don't want to speak for people and assume things, but from my perspective. It definitely sounds like MJ wants to control that portion of the narrative because that can definitely undo his legacy. 
if they come out and find out things that like you know that we consider conspiracy theories about you know him maybe having a hand in how his father died if things like that come out and there's more validity to it that does do undo his legacy because now the fact he's still alive and the documentary is coming out in today's world, you can start to pick away pick away at it now. Yeah. We have the social media, we have the the internet and things like that that they didn't have 25, 30 years ago. And that interview and that statement alone, I have a problem with when he said, "I don't have a gambling problem; I have a com- competition problem or a competitive problem." Yeah, that's a cop out. It, it's the same thing, right? Because the competition that you're partaking in, we're, just, we're talking about off off court stuff. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about playing basketball. Obviously, you're competitive on the floor but when he was talking about i have a competition problem he's addicted to competition when you're competing for someone else's money via game via whatever it is you know the guys were talking about how they'd be at the airport he would he would be uh, offering uh, or asking guys for the money to see which color bag would come around the the guard the 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 baggage claim at the airport like betting on stuff like that—that that is a problem, right? If you're betting money with with your teammates, you know, I bet you, uh, I bet you five hundred dollars at the bag coming around the, the 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 baggage claim is a navy blue bag. Like that's a problem. If you're competing, yeah, you can call it competition if you want, but if you're competing for someone else's money, that's gambling. That is what that is. That is a problem. He, so he and that whole interview was just so odd. Like him and his glasses on. Like he never did that before. He was with his boy, Ahmad Rashad. Like, that whole interview was just like him. It felt like he was hiding within himself and saying it without actually coming out and saying it. It was pretty blatantly obvious to me anyways. Well, and, and, the, and one of the biggest parts of that that uh, these two episodes come out was was the – like I was talking about with, when it came to the Dream Team. Everybody talks about how – That was more I, than him, yeah. Right, but the point is, even if MJ was the one that handpicked everybody, so what? It didn't matter who was going to be on that team – they were going to win it all. They yeah. knew that, and therefore, it wasn't a concern of whether they were going to win. It was about enjoying the time. MJ talked about it several times about how he just wanted to be with his friends, mm-hmm. and 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 again, that's okay. It's it's something that should be able to happen. He has that right because he's the best player in the world at the time, and these other guys wanted to be a part of it. So what's the what's the problem with that? That and that's what goes into now when they talk about how all these guys are just buddy buddy and they hang out in the off season and they hang and they you know they're dapping each other up on the on the court. Yeah. Guys, there's pictures of Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas literally kissing each other on the court yeah. in the midst of the finals. Yeah. So we got to get rid of these false narratives because that's that's the problem with this entire documentary is that. If you never if you never watched basketball before this, you just heard everyone talk about it, and then watch this documentary, you would be fooled into thinking that you were lied to your entire life, or this documentary is lying to you. Yeah. Because they're two completely different stories. That's why I appreciate what guys like Nick Wright and these other guys and Shannon Sharp even are starting to break down the, these these bullshit cliches that we've heard our entire lives. It's romanticized. It's 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 much different, and even like, I, like I've talked about through this entire thing. MJ is unintentionally, I think, in my opinion, out uh, outdoing himself in this documentary. He's not yeah. making himself look better, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is making his legend look a little bit more human. Yeah, and because, I will say, I will say too, my, my favorite part of it, uh, the whole thing that I got out of it, and it was they didn't even touch on it very long. There was like little hits and jabs here and there from other players, even in that practice that or that scrimmage uh, for the Dream Team scrimmage, when Magic Johnson chucked that ball into the stands. Yeah. And they're talking about, oh, because he got pissed off because MJ was getting those calls. And even on the, the photo shoot, when when Magic Johnson, also another jab, said, oh, hey, don't touch Michael. You might get a, might get a foul call. You know, they said, so yeah. th- those guys were already very aware that it was Michael's league, that he was getting the calls. And, this, and I'll bring now, I'll reel it right back into LeBron. 
right? So what does LeBron get? LeBron's always got criticized because he got the calls, which honestly, he's there's a lot of calls he doesn't get because of his size, because of his ability. But yeah, so I just I thought that was hilarious to me because MJ was getting that treatment and everyone already knew that the league was his and the league was revolved around him because he was the he was the star child of it all. So I mean that but LeBron you never heard MJ really getting criticized as far as fans go and as far as now reflecting back on it. No one wants to talk about that MJ getting those calls. But this is funny. The irony in that all is because of LeBron. Yeah, he, he constantly gets criticized. He goes for the same three for thing. eighteen in Game Three against the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And he still scores 22 points because he went to the line 22 or 16 times, 18 times. James Harden style. Went 16 yeah. for 18 from the line that game. So, yeah, his the bare numbers of it look fine. But if right. you actually know the truth of it, it's a lot I don't really have a problem we, with that. I just don't – you've got to keep it consistent. Right, I don't think consistency with today's game. Go watch the episode again. You'll see uh, David Aldridge goes, you know, MJ was going to answer back. And that's what he did. And they show these two highlights of him hitting these shots – that's two of his three shots he made the entire game, and they won by 20 points. Right. He, he beat the Knicks by 20 points. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's turn to Eddie real quick with uh, MJ real quick. Does MJ have any lines or statements he wants to, you know, because he is a friend of the show. I just, want to make sure, yeah, I just want to make sure that MJ is okay with the, the, what, we're, what we're breaking down over here. Yeah, he's okay. He's doing fine. Uh, but just to, I mean, touch what you guys already been talking about, how, like, media-wise, how, how much different the media was back then to what it is today and how social media, how how it could have affected his career back then as to, uh, as, as if it was today, too, you know what I mean? So if all this existed back then, yeah, I, I, I can see how it would be much different and how he, he was criticized for a lot of things. But that, that, that's, that's what comes with the whole persona. It's kind of like soccer. Like, you guys were talking, and, and in my mind, it was it was the, like, uh, as you can say, soccer legends. You know, you got Pele, you got Maradona, you got Ronaldo, you got Cristiano Ronaldo, you got Messi, you got Ronaldinho. You got, I mean, they all got criticized for whatever they did, even, mm-hmm. if, they, even if what they did was wrong in somebody's eyes, or right in somebody's eyes, it was still wrong to the media. So... With, with with the fame comes with with uh, criticism, uh, criticism for sure, and you had you had to accept that. And I mean the way the way you guys explained my, uh, MJ was handling was probably not the best, but trying to survive the media in any in any in any kind of way because the way soccer players survive the media is also is very hard mentally. Just because of everything that they have to go through, you know, like they have to respond to every little uh, criticism that they receive. So I, I, I can see why at age 30, MJ was talking about retirement because of all the, the whole the whole media aspect. Of it. Because it is it's hard. It's mentally it's, it's mentally hard. Yeah. And like it, like I said, it just comes to mind like all these soccer players, the like what they have to go through in order to like you know stay up there and be who they are without being yep. taken back yeah. down to to because to, to your point you're you're a hundred percent correct because I my my perspective on all this my my stance on all this is that MJ wasn't wrong for feeling the way he felt. No. If he felt in himself that this was too much and he needed to step away, that's his rights. And and, and, and I totally commend him for that. The the problem is is that we were told a different story. We were, we were told much different stories, and again, this is revealing uh, something that, that I don't think that was, was 
revealed all these years. Like I said, I, I, Trevor and I and a, and a few other people we know have been the ones that are more skeptical about these stories and the storylines and the narratives. And even we are shocked by some of this well, stuff. And, and, and I, I can see you guys' point. Like, like for you guys, you guys grew up watching MJ. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who MJ was until I, what, I moved here from, from Mexico mm-hmm. back in 2001, 2002. That's when I started, like, hearing about who MJ was. Yeah. And, you know, like, me as a, as a little kid kind of going back and started to see some, you know, some highlights here and there on, on whatever website had them. Uh, and then once YouTube came came around in, like, 2005, 2006, you started seeing more highlights, more highlights, more highlights about MJ. It, 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 it's just the same for 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 soccer players, man. It, yeah. It it's so it's so funny to me because it, it's very comparable, like as to like t- uh, not talent wise, but what they go through as in like being the best player in the world. You know, like it's very similar and, and yeah, mentally going through like through the media is just I, I I couldn't handle it to be honest with you. I couldn't handle it. It's just because you're just getting criticized for anything you do. You can donate money to something about cancer. And then, obviously, they're going to come out, oh, why'd you only donate to that, that, uh, that, that, uh, fuck, what do you call it? Foundation. Them? Exactly. Yeah. Why only that foundation? Why couldn't you donate to the, so you have all this money that you can donate and spread around every, you know, like, even if it, the, the, the good you do is still bad. Yeah. So, like, like I said, mentality is, you can say your 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 mind like you're strong. Uh, you have a strong mind, but at the end of the day, like it can still eat you alive, man. It's, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, and that, that's the look. I I have, I'll never know what it's like to be MJ famous, and that's why I wanted to be. That, it, that's what struck me about it. It's like, man, this really did wear on him. And this entire series, I feel like he's been alluding to that, and then in episode six, he really like dropped the hammer on that. Like he really episode five and six, he really dropped the hammer on that, like letting us know like how insanely tough it was on him. The point I'm trying to make though is that although he's right in regards of that, we have to we have to take that and say, man, we we assume that you know these stupid ass narratives of of man MJ would score 43 a game in today's NBA. First of all, that's just completely ridiculous. And Nick Wright broke all that down, and I would love for you guys to hear that as to why, because of pace of play just in itself. But if you're going to play that, then let's bring in the difference in media. Because if he wasn't, you have to remember, we are, again, we were all very young in the 90s. But I do remember how different it was technologically, and there was no 24-hour news cycle for sports. Sports Center was really starting to gain, but it wasn't constant like it is today, where you had five different networks every single day covering sports. It Camera wasn't, phones. It didn't happen that way. TMZ wasn't around back then. You were going off of the writers on your paper. That's what you were going off. It was like next day news. Yeah. MJ did not have, and that's what was wearing him down. Imagine 25 years later, he's playing today, and that's going on today, and him trying to handle that circus. Well, yeah, he couldn't even handle he couldn't even handle the Jordan Rules book come out and and, and deal with the shit that was being yeah. said about him, and then he wanted to immediately throw his teammates under the bus. Yeah, that's not me dissing him. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to diss him. I'm saying that that's the reality of the situation. But I mean, could you could you imagine? I don't like, think he can handle it. Could you imagine something a story coming out about LeBron, like a behind the scenes type of story about maybe he, a cheating scandal or something or something about him being like an absolute tyrant in the locker room, and then and then LeBron going to the press and, and calling out Dwayne Wade at the time. Saying Dwayne Wade was talking shit, and that's how they got how that got out, and he threw his own teammate under the bus. How much will LeBron be getting shit on for that for his character? I'm just saying, like yeah. you know, 
that would be a thing, but it would be just, it yeah. would be a thing because again, we are constantly in today's world looking for something. Yeah, we're constantly trying. Go on Twitter for five minutes. Go, Headline go, grabbing. Go search yeah. any random famous person. Doesn't even have to be an athlete. Right. Go find some random famous person to go look at their mentions. You have at least twenty people in there calling them whatever name you can think of, using racial slurs. You know, getting themselves suspended. That's not the world MJ had to face. It's just the facts of it. Did he have to face a stressful world? And you see it everywhere they went, man. He was attacked, and I'm sure that wears on you. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm saying that if you that wore you down, there's no way he can handle LeBron's world. There's just no way. I don't see how it's possible. I, I really I don't. feel like. I mean, I'm not saying that's that this is so, but I feel like there's a veil kind of being put over our our eyes, though. I. I know we have more episodes to watch, but it feels like we're we're trying to. I feel like it's kind of making the viewers kind of feel bad for MJ in a sense, and, and kind of glossing over the fact. Because we're gonna, I know we're going to get to why he retired, and we'll see what they say about that when he retired the first time. But I feel like they're they're building that up to that being the reason why he retired because he couldn't handle the pressure and the press and the and the media and all that. I feel because like, I feel like they're going to kind of like coat over something else that really is the underlying reason to why he retired. Because I 100% do not believe he retired because of him taking scrutiny and constantly being in the media. And because I don't I don't really buy that. You don't take a shoe deal. You don't you don't claim and, and, and flaunt yourself around as the best player in the world, and then you can't take the heat. When things are in your constantly people having up, up having people up in your face, I just don't honestly I don't buy the whole pressure thing. I really don't. I I, can, I, I mean I honestly can see it. I can see it. I can see it bugging him, but I'm not I, I'm not going to buy the facts. I feel like they're putting a veil over our eyes to because well like I said we we haven't seen the next coming episodes of when he retired and what pushed him over that you know whether it was the death of his father. Which I, I could imagine, but he immediately went and played another sport. Well, I'll, I'll add to that. And he's going to get pressed with that. I'll, I'll, give you so two, just... I'll give you two points to that. Okay, the reason I do believe the pressure played a significant role is because it, you see him laying on that couch with a stogie saying, like, when you know that you're done with this life, you know, and I'm there. Sure. Like, I, I he also like knew he was on camera. True, but I'm saying I don't think he thought, hey, in 23 years no. I'm going to show this and say, hey, look, guys, that, right. that proves it. Sure. I, I'm just saying that I think there was a level of sincerity in that. And then to I'm your, not saying it didn't play a part at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do believe it did play a significant role. I, I agree with you to an extent that I don't think it played the mass, like the, the, the entire there's role. So, there's so much behind this. There's so much yeah. mystery to a lot of this, man. But also with the with the playing of the other sport, it has been confirmed. This has been this has been documented. Yeah. That MJ said before the '93 season, "I'm retiring after this year and playing baseball." Mm -hmm. Like this was, and that his father was still alive at this time. Mm -hmm. So we can't sit here and pretend like it was his father that died. Right. That, that cost that made him say, you know what, I'm done with basketball. That would, had nothing to do with it. Like, I'm not a, saying it uh, didn't have anything to do with I it. Mean, I would say it made it an easier choice to retire. I'm sure it made it easier, yes. Yeah, and like, I've talked about this before. Like maybe yeah. at the beginning it was like, you know, I'm looking to retire to play baseball this year. And maybe when his father died, knowing that that was his father's favorite sport, sure. was kind of like, I am retiring. It was like, I'm going to play what my dad would Yeah, it reinstilled, yeah. Exactly. It, yeah, it reconfirmed it for yeah, him. Exactly. Like, look, this is probably the best decision for me. Yeah. It's crazy. Which caused even more of a media frenzy, though. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, that's what didn't right. make much sense because when he – when, when the best player in the NBA announces he's going to play baseball and be a mediocre, if, if that and baseball player. he set player, himself up for that. That's what I'm saying. That he caused more of a media that. frenzy. That's yes. all that did. He, he, MJ caused his own problems. Yeah, we'll get if, to that episode. If, if, he didn't get, if he didn't have the problems he had in gambling, and yes, he did have problems. You can, you, you, there are several 
bookies and, and men that have come out throughout the years that have talked about his and his he's had severe debts. There was even a guy in that in that episode that talked about he had a one point two million dollar debt that he was supposed to pay when he was playing golf and, and hanging out with that and had, and owed that. I was writing like a hundred thousand dollar check to that one shady guy that did time in prison. Yeah, what was his name? He had to testify in that in that court. his name. Yeah, yeah. In that in that case, that, he had that, MJ had Jerry to Curl, testify dude. in that yeah. case. See, all of those things, imagine that happening in today. Imagine all of that going on right now. Him on a, with Ahmad Rashad and his glasses talking the way he did, being at a court case. That would be the number one story. Remember when Tom Brady had his cell phone thing? That would be that. You guys remember how crazy that was for like an entire year, the deflated of balls? Yeah. Like those things took over the media circuit. That's exactly how it would have gone now. And it did not happen back then. And then another theory I've heard about him retiring the first time was be either because the NBA told him to, like, kind of force Stern. him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, I don't know what I, where I read it, but it was talking about how the NBA wasn't happy with his gambling problem. And they told him either to fix it or to get out, like, pretty much get out the league because it was putting a bad name on It was a competition problem, man. It was, putting, it was putting a bad name on the, on, the, on the league, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's one of the theories I've heard yeah. about him retiring that first time. But There's validity to that. I'm not saying that... The league, because there is the there is a theory that they suspended him instead of you know making him retire. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm retiring is really a suspension. I don't know if that's true or not. There's never been proof of it. Coming off a championship, yeah. but it is, it is pretty convenient. And again, he was the bell cow for the NBA, and they did not want to have an image of, oh my God, our number one guy is gambling, and now we have to question whether he's gambling on his own team exactly. against his team. Like they didn't want that because that would that would destroy the NBA. From within, because again, he was the face. That's like Tom Brady having something like that to, you know, that's why the NFL took such a massive hit because Tom Brady was cheating the way that's why they had to save face and suspend his ass for four games. It obviously wasn't to the severity of Michaels, but the NBA took action. I do believe they took action. I don't know if they suspended him, but if, if we found out tomorrow the NBA suspended MJ during that time, would it be hard for us to believe that? No. No, because it all adds up. There is addition to it. Yeah. it. It leads to something. And maybe we will find out one day. We ain't finding out in this documentary, that's for damn sure. Because, like I said, MJ has buttoned this thing up as much as he can. There's still been some things that have popped out as far as you know us learning things about this stuff that I think is hurting his legacy for a lot of people and hurting some narratives out there. But I think that he has buttoned this up pretty well and will continue to do so. I hope we're not disappointed at the end of this. And we are starting to get to that final stretch. But... I, I do have a feeling that we're going to be looking for more after the season, after the series is over. But we're going to leave that there because, guys, when we come back, we're going to be having the Eddie Hour. The Eddie Hour is back. We missed last right. week. It's coming yeah, back Eddie. this week. I hope you all ready because he's got some damn good questions this week. At least I'm assuming he does. Him and MJ will be back. We'll be back with that after this. We are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. Building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. Casey Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Casey Hemp Co. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Woodwell. 
here inside the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell good. and Eddie Ortiz with friend of the show MJ, the second greatest player of all time. Appreciate your time. Uh, it looks like he's doing just fine. Does he have a stogie with him? He's got the sky single malt with him. Is it... I was just looking at me through the show. He's withstanding Eddie's farts over there. That, yeah. that, that'd be sobering itself. Just to... He's a really good friend, though, just like Mr. Clark. Bro, I'm so envious of you. Like, Trevor and I, I, I love my brother and everything. Not Earl Thomas love, but <laughs> brother. And I, I'm still jealous of you, though. You getting out with Clark H and Brett V, now MJ. Just living that celeb life, man. Just bullshit. Jealous. Just letting you know. I, I don't know. Le- I need to talk to HR. I don't want, I don't want no, you're not on that level. It's like the KCPN's HR. Dude, this is bullshit. He's getting on all these damn trips. Oh, bullshit. All right. Well, it is the Eddie Hour, so let's go ahead and bring it right back to our guy, Eddie. Eddie, what is on the pallet tonight, my dude? All right, man. I got I got a first question for you, man. So the Bundesliga returns next week. Uh, Bundesliga is the professional soccer league in Germany. Uh, just the first big deal. Uh in the soccer community because one of the biggest, biggest leagues in the world and they're returning next week. My question is, what does this mean for sports around the world? I think it means that we're on a trajectory of getting sports back a lot sooner than maybe we had anticipated, at least in some form. Uh, I, I don't anticipate in any way, shape, or form we're going to see fans in stadiums this entire year of 2020. It would absolutely shock me if I see any team, any sport of any type, have fans in their stadiums this year. Um, but this is good news. I, I will take this as an absolute positive because I do believe that this shows that in certain areas of the world, it is getting better. It's getting better quicker than it has in America. We can delve into that all we want. The point is is that I think this is a good thing. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's not much I can really take away from it other than that. I think this is just a positive thing. We need that. We, quite frankly, in the sports world and in the world in general, need something to boost them around. Even if it is, like, not everybody's a soccer fan in America. But if they can watch live sports with Korean baseball, you're watching Korean baseball right now. People are tuned into that in America. And that needs – and I think that this is just another step forward in, in the positive direction. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said in Germany, right? In Germany, yeah. Yeah, so in Germany, I think, had the lowest amount, if any – as far as this virus goes, they have, they you know I think they have the lowest amount of people, so that's like a, pretty much a clean situation over there. So if there's anywhere to start sports back up with people or players playing on the field or a court or anywhere in general, that would be the spot to do it. So I feel like this is like you, like Lance said, this is a step in the right direction and moving forward with getting sports back in our life because I know I'll probably be watching. It needs something. So yeah, uh, I'm just gonna add to that uh, because when this was announced about a couple of days ago, I want to say about. Four days ago, it was announced that they were coming back next week. We had Sporting Kansas City. We had players report yesterday. I believe they reported yesterday back to to training. All right. And then we had the Spanish League returning to practice as well. So that that Bundesliga announcement is starting to, to take a big role in, in this other league starting up again. Because you got the Liga, La Liga, which is, I would say, two in the world. Pretty much going back to practice. And then we have local local soccer, MLS, going back to practice as well. So I, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really, really good news for, for the world at this moment. And we really need it. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. My next question is, obviously, hopefully you guys know, but we have UFC tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh I want to hear your thoughts about this event and 
Who do you think is going to win between Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz and then Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gothcher? His name is weird as hell. I was trying to learn it earlier today. It's not good. To answer your question, though, Cejudo is going to win this fight. And the reason why is he's just simply the better fighter. Um, he's probably the best fighter in the world right now, not Nangs Khabib. I'm uh, straight up. This kid, he went from an Olympic gold medalist uh, to getting his ass beat by Demetrius Harris, Demetrius Johnson, to now going and beating Demetrius Johnson, yeah. and now setting himself again as, as the best, I think, pound for pound fighter right now in the UFC. Dominic Cruz is maybe the most unlike, unfortunate and unlucky UFC UFC fighter ever. This guy's insanely talented, but he's always injured, always, always injured. And that is not, it's unfortunate to see. Does Dominic Cruz have a shot? Yes, because he had all the experience. He's, a, he's maybe the smartest fighter in the UFC. But I think with Seattle, is the way, the way he's fighting, the way he's uh, conducted himself over the last year or two, I think he's going to win this fight. And I think it's not even going to be close, to be honest. Um, as far as the second fight, Tony Ferguson, unless I'm mistaken, has a 30-fight winning streak. Um, and if it goes to the ground, I can see Tony losing. Um, but... The, the way I see it, though, I think Tony's just, he's so tactically sound. He's consistent, too, no matter who the matchup is. I, I'm going to go with the name recognition on this one. I, he's the more popular fighter. He's the more established fighter, in my opinion. I think he's going to I think he's gonna win this fight. That's my opinion on it. No, you have, no UFC expert here, though. Yeah, yeah, same. I'm not a, an expert or well, you know, versed on it. But I, I actually think in this fight. Um, I think this is going to be one of those fights where it's, come up where it's an upset because obviously he's by far the underdog here and lesser of a fighter. And like Lambert, he's dealt with many, many injuries, nearly career-ending injuries. Um, I think this is one of those things that just kind of – with everything being so weird right now and us finally getting sports back, I just kind of – honestly, I feel like I want to kind of have a hot take at the same time. But I do – I've always liked Cruz as a fighter. Um, I think he's going to win a win this, this fight standing up. Uh but I just—it's one of those ones that obviously is—he's definitely the underdog. But I do feel like he, I think he's—if I'm making my bet right now, I'm putting my money on Don Cruz to win that fight. Um, but as far as Ferguson, I think Ferguson's going to win that fight, hands down. Uh, I don't know too much about the rest of the card, but I know the two top ones. But yeah, as far as I, I think Dominic Cruz has that one, and that's me kind of having a hot take, honestly, because it's definitely a hot take right now. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, just to be a little, you know. You know, play contrarian here a little. Yeah. I, I I've always liked Cruz, but yeah, he's always fallen fallen short in big moments when he had chances. He's had numerous chances to, you know, win win titles and all that. But I just think, I think this is the time where he kind of like makes up for some of that. So that's my take on. It. Nice. Excited to have act though. Excited to have yeah. something to watch. Sports are slowly coming back, and yeah, I'm more than thanks for that. All right, my last question for you guys. My third and final question. Uh, which of the following three players do you think will play all 16 games in the NFL? Big Ben, Gronk, or Nick Foles? And, I, and if you don't think they're going to play the full 16 games, I want, I want to see if you guys can like give me a prediction as to how many you guys think they're going to play. Uh, I mean, the, the prediction side of things is rough because you can never really accurately predict it. Uh, I mean, it's going to be tough, but... To, to, to attack this first and foremost, I mean, this was this was a, a good question because all three of these guys at this current time of careers are injury prone. Um, ben Roethlisberger, 38 years old, coming off a severe uh, surge on his throwing elbow. He, as, as much as I want to believe that Ben can make it through a full season, I, Nick Foles just coming off a severe collarbone injury on his, I believe, it was throwing shoulder as well. Is he starting? 
Well, that's that's the thing is the assumption that he does get the starting gig because they didn't pick on Trubisky's fifth yeah. fifth option or fifth yeah. option. I actually can see that happening. Yeah, I, I could definitely see. I definitely see Nick Foles starting week one. I definitely could. Um, but to answer the question, as crazy as it sounds, I actually think it's going to be Gronk that play the most games. Um, depending on how the Bucks do, I can see him playing at least thirteen to fourteen games. The reason why is because of the fact that again, you're talking about the guy who's the youngest of the three. And has played the lead amount of football over the last couple of seasons for these guys, and I think that with the with the surrounding talent that they're going to have with the Bucks, the pressure is going to be on Gronk like it was over the past six, seven seasons for him because of the fact that he was the primary target in New England for all those years, he was the one taking the mass, the majority of all the pressure on him. There was a lot of expectation on Gronk coming into Tampa Bay. He's got three or four proven weapons around him that they're going to be getting the majority of the the, the, the targets. He's going to play his role, but I don't think he's going to be a all-pro tight end anymore. I think he's going to play his role, and he's going to be like a Jason Witten where he's not going to be the guy that's going to be taking the brunt of the, the hits through the season if I had a bet between those three. Yeah, if I had a bet between three of them, I'm going to go with the toughest guy of the bunch, and that's Big Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I know he's taking it. He's had some lumps, and he's missing games. But for the most part, dude has battled through most of those injuries. Even there was moments where he should have sat out in those games, but he played through it. I know this this last one was kind of a freak injury with the, him having the Tommy John in the elbow. I even I watched that game live when it happened. It was just odd. He just threw the ball, and it was no contact, and his elbow just kind of slipped. I just think that was one of those three things. He was actually, I and I, to be honest, to add to that, I think the Steelers are actually one of my secret teams. I know we'll get to the predictions and stuff way later on down the road. But I actually like the Steelers heading into this year. I think they have a lot to prove. And I think they won, what, eight or nine games last year? Third string, fourth string quarterbacks. You know, Mason Rudolph and the likes of Hodge, you know, Duck Hodges. I mean, Mike Tomlin is a hell of a coach. And that defense is still very well attacked. I'm not going to go on a Pittsburgh Steelers rant here. But I do – I actually like Big 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 Ben this year. Gronk, I'm almost certain, is going to have some kind of back issue by week five or six. Uh, he's he's like he's lost what 30 40 pounds. He takes one good hit. He's not gonna have that padding to absorb a lot of those blows. I think if he takes one, you know, over the um, a middle crosser and he gets lit by a, a safety, I can see him very well going down. Because uh, you know Brady's gonna want to go him. That's gonna be his. Even with OJ Howard there, OJ Howard's obviously the better talent at this point. But I, I know he's even the Gronk throws a block and he and you know, he takes a low hit on a block or somebody blocks him or chip shot or something. You know, I can just see Gronk having one of those nagging injuries come back because he's been off field for so long. And you know, once you start getting that contact again, it's gonna be like, oh shit, it's gonna be a refresher of that nightmare. You know, he has he has way more nagging injuries than Big Ben has. Big Ben's had little nicks and knacks, and he just had the Tommy John, but. Nobody's had issues like Gronk has with his back. And Nick Foles with the broken collarbone, that can very well be easily re-aggregated. But I'm not going to throw him in this mid right now because I don't even know if he's a starter yet. So Big Ben's my choice. I'm going to throw this little question to you guys. Talk about the Steelers and how Big Ben's health is questionable at this moment. Yeah. You know, oh, I think he's going to be fine. Because we don't – I mean, we, we can say it's fine, but mm-hmm. we really don't know, like, how that surgery, how that injury really affected his – Tom John's been perfected team. nowadays, though. There's been pitches and everybody's come back. A lot of them come back. Okay. Yeah. Um, my question is, do you think Cam Newton would be a great – I would uh, love that. Backup? I would love him in, in Pittsburgh. The, the problem with that is the fact that anywhere Cam's going to go, he's yeah. going to bring the presence. Controversy. Yeah. And so Ben Roethlisberger, being 38 years old, to answer your question, yes, it would make sense from a football standpoint. It's not going to make a sense. Not going to make sense for what they believe Ben Roethlisberger still is. They're they're going to they're not going. And Ben Roethlisberger would never sign up to that. 
of another veteran quarterback that's had a very successful career coming behind him. And, and, and if he was to mess up or get hurt in the slightest way, people, even the most loyal of fans, would start to turn and say, we want to see Cam Newton because Ben's old now. But, Buy into that narrative. Yeah, but, yeah. but, I mean, would you know that at 38 years old, you're not the same? Yeah. Especially coming he hasn't, he hasn't needed to be something special. He's, he's, right. he's a, such a good arm talent. And, it, and, and I, I believe in my time as a coach to scheme to his ranks. And he's always been able to do that because they've had so many so much success, similar to Andy Reid's scheme of going a lot to the running backs and with the Patriots as well. They have a lot of success with that. I think they have a talented roster still. I mean, that, that's offensively too. They still have weapons. Uh, I believe I've always believed in the arm of Big Ben. When he's healthy, he's still one of the toughest SOBs on the field and making plays and extending plays. And that division's not great. I mean, outside Baltimore being obviously the heavy hitter there. We don't know what the Browns are going to be. I expect the Browns to be slightly better than what they were last year if they can find some continuity. But I, I, I think the Steelers are a sleeper team, just like I feel about the Bills last year. Yeah, the, the Steelers almost snuck into the playoffs last year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, with nobody at the helm. So yeah. Mike Thomas is a hell of a coach in my mind. Man. Good questions tonight, Eddie. I really appreciate it, man. We're going to take a quick break. We'll- I'm going to give you guys thoughts on Project 11. I took away from hey, yo. the series. Are we going to see Alex Smith ever again in the NFL? We'll get back to that after this. Midcoast Modern is a Kansas City focus on modern handmade and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance. Segment number four, I apologize. I'm all thrown off. I really do apologize, guys. We are here in the KCPN studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell good. and Eddie Ortiz, good, good, good. along with alongside our friend of the show, MJ. I just want to throw this out real quick before we start talking about what we're going to talk about in the segment. I do want to apologize for the technical difficulties we are having tonight. I can only imagine how rough it's been for you guys, and I promise you it will not happen again. Uh, we're going to go right into this uh, next segment because this is something that I've been looking forward to for quite some time, ever since we had seen the un- unforese- unforeseen and unfortunate uh, incident happened. I knew that there was going to be something that we were going to be able to reflect upon and, and, and talk about this one day. I didn't expect it to be the way it was. And um, it's it's in regards to the Alex Smith uh, documentary, the E60 documentary called uh, Project 11. And if you haven't watched that yet, I really hope you take the time to do it. It's only 60 minutes long, hence E60. And it's um, it, it goes by very quickly. But at the same time, you feel like there's a, there's a lot that you learned about the situation that Alex Smith unfortunately had to endure. And for the first 25 minutes of this documentary, I, I felt as if it was simply – I was simply caught up in a time warp of everything that I had already known and had been fully made aware of. Uh, from Alex Smith going number one in the 2005 NFL draft to the 49ers and 20-plus picks above the future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers – to Alex Smith's one touchdown, 11 interception rookie season. To Jim Harbaugh coming to San Fran in 2011 and literally saving not only the Niners franchise, but also Alex's career. To 2012 when Alex was having a very solid start to the season, only to get injured and ultimately lose his job to a better, more capable quarterback in Colin Kaepernick, who inevitably took the team to the Super Bowl, something Alex Smith didn't do in his first seven seasons with the team. 
to the Chiefs trading multiple second-round picks through the services of one Alex Smith, providing Andy Reid with a solid and safe retread quarterback that wouldn't win the Chiefs games but would, wouldn't be particularly the main reason they'd lose them. Knowing all throughout the time that he wasn't good enough to get this, at the time, notoriously underachieving franchise over the hump. In other words, more of the same from what we've seen at the quarterback position in Kansas City for the previous decades. All the way to the point of the uh, to, to Washington paying a soon-to-be 34-year-old Alex Smith $90 million. And before he and his new team could even get through Week 11's matchup against the Texans, Alex Smith suffered one of the worst injuries we have ever seen in NFL history. An injury that is... Unexplainable as it might be, was suffered by another Washington quarterback by the name of Joe Theismann to the exact date of November 18th, 33 years prior. When I first saw the highlight of Alex's injury, my, my heart sunk and my stomach turned. My, my first thoughts were, why did this have to happen? And, and you can ask my brothers, I've always been sensitive to athletes getting injured because I know that it doesn't end on the field. Your body is something you take with you when the lights go off and when we go back to normal life, broken or whole. And when Alex went down, I immediately began thinking about his family and how tough and challenging of a road this would be for all of them. You then see how his leg looked about four days after surgery and how it looked as if he was going to not only lose his leg, but potentially his life. And this is when it got tough for me to watch. No, I'm not talking about the extremely, extremely, and I say extremely graphic pictures of his leg being essentially stripped to nothing. It was tough because of how mentally strong Alex the man was throughout this process. And whenever I see others go through things in this life, I always try to envision how I would conduct myself in that given scenario. And most, if not all those scenarios, I know I wouldn't have handled it as well. This is absolutely one of those scenarios. To see Alex limp with his device, keeping his leg in place and intact while he recovers shook me because I know I wouldn't have been able to mentally withstand the torture that I know came with that. Seeing where Alex is now and where he's come from is nothing short of amazing. I don't want to say it's a miracle because it took the hard, detail, and diligent work of all the medical providers that worked with Alex and obviously the never-wavering determination from Alex Smith himself. Had he given up, he, he probably would have lost his leg and maybe even more. And I cannot be happier to see it all shake out as positive as it has for him and his family. Now, when it comes to the football side of things, Alex is 36, soon to be 37, has three years left on his contract with Washington, is obviously still very much recovering from this significant leg injury. The question remains, if Alex can still play football, will Washington or another NFL franchise give Alex that chance to end his career on a higher note than, leaning on, than leaving on a stretcher? And the question I've been asked is, do I believe Alex Smith can or will ever play football in the NFL again? My answer is, it doesn't matter. Because Alex Smith believes he can and will play in the NFL again. And if a return to the game he's loved this, his entire life is the motivating factor for his recovery, along with being able to be the husband and father he desires to continue to be, then for his sake, I hope he gets exactly 
what he's worked for so hard over these last 18 months. Best of luck to you, Alex Smith. Trevor, what were your thoughts on this documentary? Man, um, it was it was an emotional documentary, man. Just just because we obviously as Kansas City natives have a, a, a connection to him, whether we you know we went all the way or not, you can't not love Alex Smith. I mean, the guy is if you know if you could create a human being, you know, with with character and and, and him being a father and a husband, just the way he is, the way he goes about things, he's very he's so mentally strong. Um, he's just a great guy. I mean, you, you get to see even more under the layers, certain layers of Alex Smith and his, you know, with him, with him being emotional and his life being on the line at moments, you know, him possibly losing a limb. I mean, you can't be more vulnerable than that in that moment. Uh, man, the footage of when they noticed his skin was dying and it was getting black and they knew they immediately had to, had to surgically remove that skin because it would obviously spread and that infection would kill the rest of his skin moving up throughout his leg and his body. They cut that off, and then the next day they come in after removing that and checking under the bandages, and the, the skin was doing the same thing again with that layer that was left after they cut it. It was just I, me personally dealing with someone someone who doesn't deal with stress very well and, and is an anxious person. I would have been flipping the hell out, man. There's not, you got to be so mentally strong to endure that and not just out of me personally. I would have just been like, man, just take my goddamn leg off, please. I don't want to die. I, I'd rather live with one leg. Like it, it was just. It was emotional, man, and then yeah. and that scene with his wife when she sat down with the doctors and, you know, just point blank asked, asked her, you know, should we take his leg? You know, what do we got to do? In your mind, what would you do? And the doctor herself said, I would take his leg. And Alex Smith, obviously, there was obviously, they didn't say what, what, what discussions took place after that, but I'm pretty sure Alex Smith was like, fuck that. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to do what I can to keep my leg. Because inside, the guy is a competitor. And that's the main thing I got from it is, is his competitive nature and his will to get back. That, I love that, man, because a lot of us, honestly, a lot of us watching Alex Smith throughout his career, you know, we've, we felt he didn't have the, the, the internal fortitude to be a, a guy that can, you know, that has the mental capacity to go out there and win in big, big moments and crunch time moments because we've seen him fail in big time moments when we needed him the most. Um, but that kind of that kind of altered my mindset towards him from what I see him as an individual, not even as an athlete, but as an individual will to win at life. That was huge to me, seeing him fight that and keep his leg and make it and endure that and then, and then go to that military base where all those wounded warriors, that was incredible, man. That was a touching moment, seeing all those wounded warriors, to, you know, talking to him because that's how bad his injury was, man. He had to go over there to get seen by those wounded warrior professionals that deal with combat wounds and people that are losing limbs in combat. This, and that's, that shows you how this significant this injury was. And it looked like his leg got mauled by a bear, man. It wasn't like you said. Like this, this, this documentary was more about him and his his personal uh, outlook on life than it was about football. I know the underlying tone is him wanting his passion for the game and getting back to the game. I personally, the way you ended yours, uh, talking about will he play again and it doesn't matter. It's whatever he wants. I don't think he should play football again. Um, just from yeah, he he can move around now. He's starting to get better. I don't want to see it happen again, man, because I that leg is way more fragile than it was to begin with. You know you're going to take more hits, and he's a mobile quarterback. You take the mobility out of Alex Smith's game, he's going to be – I don't know how bad he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be that great, to be honest with you, to begin with as far as the skill level goes and winning games and enjoying it because I don't know how good he's going to be. And if he takes another good lick low from one of these, you know, or he gets sandwiched and then I just – I don't want to see him go out there and re that injury. As a fan of him, not only as a player but as an individual, 
I just don't want to see him, him try to continue his football career as, as much as he wants to, him being almost 37 years old. Uh, it was a very touching documentary. Me being a family man myself, it was definitely emotional. I felt connected to it, him being you know here before. Um, so I gained a whole new level of respect to, to close out my segment here. I gained a whole new level of respect for Alex Smith as an individual and his willingness to uh, prevail conflict, you know, with whether it's injury or anything, mind battles, you know, because anybody can be depressed. He even talked about it in, in, in a segment of the show, uh, you know, the woe is me mentality. He could have had that, you know, why me? Why am I dealing with this? Because immediately that's what's going to happen. Because, you know, he's got that big contract. You know, he got the Chiefs let him go. That's a shot to the ego, and then that happens. So him overcoming all that adversity and, you know, being a great father in the midst of all that, being a great husband in the midst of all that, being a great person individualized in the midst of all that was my biggest takeaway. I love the guy, and I hope the best for him. Man, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I did not watch it, not because I didn't want to. but Mute his mic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, I'm MJ, MJ slap him. I'm not, I'm not Lance, but. Friend of the show, MJ slap him. <laughs> no, but. Like, I, I, like, just knowing the story and what he had to go through, like, overcome, like you said, like, how his skin was just dying. It's just crazy to, to believe. You, ha- you even had the mentality to to try and overcome this and still go back and do what got you to this, to this place you're at right now. You know what I mean? Like, to go back to something that cost you that damage that, Obviously, thank God it got repaired, but almost was irreparable. Like, yeah, you, you almost lost that leg. And talk about losing a leg. I want to give a shout out to one of my, my, my good buddies. His, his name, well, his last name is McKim, who recently had to get his leg amputated. And yeah. I mean, he's, he's he's a tough, tough sub bitch, but yeah, just want you want just want to send prayers out shout to out. him. Shout out and hope you get well, man. I know losing your leg is not. That's not it's not the prettiest, but uh, just shout out to you. Uh, but yeah, uh, just knowing that you could lose your leg, and not not just your leg, but knowing that you can lose your life to this is. I know I wouldn't be mentally prepared for those news. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I don't think there's nothing that can prepare me to to hear the doctor said, "Hey, we're gonna have to amputate, amputate that leg because we're trying to save your life." You know what I mean? Like, even though you don't want that leg to be amputated because you want to go back and do something, it's just hard, man. Like, you, you're you stuck in a situation where you just don't know what's going to happen to you, man. Like, I get that Alex Smith wants to come back and play, but at the same time, he has to, like, look into the future and think about his, like, family. and like, I think there's 0% his, chance he plays in the NFL. I don't think the NFL's going to allow it. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, do not, I do not agree with Alex Smith trying to return to play. Uh, football. Not not that I have anything. I respect him or anything. I respect him wanting to come back and play football, but the way his leg is right now, and the like, everything he went through, and how easily it's gonna be for him to aggravate that injury again. Like you say, he's a mobile quarterback. He's not. He's not a stationary quarterback. He's not even the that great of a quarterback to to even think about coming back and still be great. You know what I mean? So. This this type of injuries, man, is, is the ones that should like tell you that your career has come to an end. Unfortunately, it had to come to an end this way. But at the end of the day, you have to look for your family uh, and man, take care of yourself, man. You can't just put yourself out back out there to to somewhere where you can 
pretty much hurt yourself the same way again. Yeah, because so. one of the one of my favorite parts of the documentary is when uh, you know, his wife was telling you know talking. She was talking about what he had said in the bed when he was talking about how yeah. you oh, know yeah. perspective. He yeah. says the word perspective and how you know we we are so blessed in comparison that he goes. There's so many other people that would want to be in my shoes. You know how successful we, you know, we have been as a family. How lucky we are as a family. I mean, the dude's made over a hundred and what, hundred and thirty million dollars in his career. You know, to be able to play the game he loved for fifteen seasons, for fourteen, fifteen seasons. And he's got his whole family. He's got his brothers and his parents still. Yeah, you know, he's, he's got a support system. Yeah, their family's healthy. He's got beautiful children. He's got a beautiful wife. Like, there is perspective to this, and I do. I love the fact that, that Alex can captive can capture that. In the midst of such, right. you know, horrific times, yeah. you know, to know that they're literally taking pieces of your body and putting it in another part of your body, like it's very graphic. Like if if, if you're not somebody that likes seeing those things, I, I highly recommend you wouldn't it watch this. Just take my word for it. But there's his leg is literally gone. Like that that entire lower part of his leg is gone. Yeah. You just see bone and and the 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 put the implant they put into his leg to to yeah. keep the bone still. And the bridging was the part where they talked about it towards the end where – and I got choked up as hell, man, because I've never seen Alex Smith get emotional ever. I, I mean, I've watched this dude since he got drafted by the Niners. And Very monotone guy. Yeah, they talked about, like, how they, they were looking for bridging. If the bone would bridge with the implant – or uh, the rod, I should say. Yeah, yeah. That he would – things would be okay. Like it, they, He would be able to start moving the way he wants to again. And they show it. The doctor says, look – the orthopedic surgeon says, look – it, there's bridging. This is great. You see Alex's face just light up like like he's a kid again on Christmas. And then he goes outside, does the interview, and his him and his wife are standing there talking to the interviewer person, and, and, and he, you see him just lose it. And he's fighting the tears back. And I'm like, man, that yeah. I can't even imagine the relief he's feeling in that moment. I've never been in under under that type of pressure, under that type of, uh, of, of sadness. I've never been at that place before in regards to lose, almost losing your life and leg. And to come out of it the way he did, I, I don't think we could echo that sentiment enough. That that is that makes me truly happy as an individual. Forget forget the criticisms as a player. Yeah, I can I can look past those things and and realize that there is a person under that helmet and under that jersey and in those cleats that I care about more deeply than I would as the player. I was not the biggest fan of Alex Smith, and I'm glad he's not my quarterback. But I can say those things while simultaneously saying I wish nothing but the best for the man, Alex Smith. And I am so glad that he didn't lose his leg. He definitely didn't lose his life. He has his health. He's out. The the video we just saw yesterday. I, I said I said yeah. one word on the when I shared the video on the spoken. I said resilience because that's what he is. You see him literally running in place, running with his kids, pivoting, moving, doing his thing on that leg. Most people would have given up, and if they, and if he would have given up, he could have died. Yeah. He could have lost a leg, but he chose to have a positive mindset and do these things the right way and fight. Like Trevor said, he said, "Fuck that, we're doing, we're going to fight as much as we possibly can," and he ended up winning. So, I, I if you haven't watched it and you're somebody who can stomach some graphic scenes, I highly recommend it. Obviously, because it hits home here in Kansas City. The dude was here for five seasons, six seasons, so. It was powerful. It was moving. It was only an hour long. It'll fly by. I'm telling you right now. 
and you'll you'll definitely enjoy it. And uh, that's where I just wanted to leave it. I really wanted to dedicate a segment to that that documentary. I know we already talked to documentary tonight, but this is another documentary that came out, and I did not want to ignore it. I did not want to leave it unsaid. I wanted you guys to hear my thoughts, my sincerest thoughts, and Trevor and Eddie as well. And that's where we're going to leave it. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get you guys on the Monday mailbag. Cannot wait to hear your guys' questions. We'll be back to that after this. Located in the historic Westport District, Modern Man Supply Company is your Kansas City's new home for men's retail. From apparel to pomade and home goods to beard care, they offer a wide range of men's products from independent companies from around the world. Follow them at Modern Man Supply Company on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Mail time. The mail's here. It is time for the Monday Mailbag. We do this every single week. We give you guys the platform. We give you guys the opportunity to essentially take the show over. You guys give us your questions, your topics, your debate, your discussion. Whatever it is you guys want us to discuss on the show, we give you guys that opportunity each and every week. So we do appreciate all the contributors to this every single week. And I can only imagine that we're going to have our regulars in this mix. So let's go, Eddie. Let's not waste any more time. What is in the Monday Mailbag this week? Uh, This is going to be a little cool. Uh, We got MJ in the house. MJ, friend of the show. Just, you know, because MJ is here, I would do something, something cool. I would do a wager. Uh, a wager. Who, who do you guys think is the first question from? Donnie Couch. I'm going to say Donnie Couch. Donnie Couch? Ooh. Billy Hodge. No! Billy! Billy! <laughs> Billy, why couldn't you have been second like MJ? <laughs> Both you fuckers, man, every single week. All right. <laughs> His question is, if no deal gets done this year with Jones, do the Chiefs let him walk? Or do they try to sign Jones and Mahomes next year? And what other names do we need to look at who should be getting an extension soon? If, if, if it was a Chiefs idea, I mean, you really can't. Unless Chris Jones is willing to come back to Kansas City as a free agent because they're not going to tag him again next year, uh, they have to get this deal done this offseason uh, with Chris Jones. Uh, they need to get an extension done this offseason. I do believe they're going to. Um, if they don't, they're literally going to let Chris Jones walk because they're not, again, franchise tagging him next year to extend the, uh, the possibility of signing him. Anyway. Yeah, you can franchise yeah. him twice. Yeah. With, the but, C, the, with the new CBA, though? I think it's still under the old CBA, though, because the tag was under the old CBA. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I do know that I've heard from several other people that I do trust that they can tag him again technically. Okay. But it's going to be in the upper 20s, and you're not going to want to do that. No, no so, Mahomes contract. Right. So as far as the Mahomes contract, we can talk about that another time. I still very much believe he's going to wait another year for yeah. his because he's guaranteed $21 million next year he's anyway. Get $300 next year. So. Yeah, right. So, so Chris Jones, though, they have to get it done now. That has to be priority number one right now. I know the Chiefs would rather get Mahomes now because it'll be cheaper. I don't see that happening. So Chris Jones has to be number one priority for this offseason. Um, yeah, it, it just that there's no other choice. If, if they don't sign him back this season, he's not playing for the Chiefs in 2021. Yeah, I really hope they, they sign Chris Jones. And I, I have no reason to not believe what I've heard from Beach and Andy Reid because um, they've pretty much kept to their word as far as keeping everybody around, keeping this nucleus around. So why, why would I question them right now? Why would I question their reputation right now from as far as their word goes? Um, I do believe they want to keep Chris Jones around. I just think that there's a lot of communication things going on behind the scenes. That, and I think with this, I think this COVID situation actually kind of helps the Chiefs in a way with leverage as possible as far as the 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 field and and, and, and you know what guys at Chris Jones's position are getting paid right now. You know he's not going to get the Aaron Donald money that he wants. I don't believe at least not for the Chiefs. 
Um, I do, I do believe if I do believe that we will get a contract done this offseason. Um, I think it makes sense for both sides. I think Chris Jones, I think he, he's, if he's a smart man, I know he wants his money. I think he can get his money and, and you know, have his cake and eat it too. I think that this Kansas City is the perfect situation for him because he will have success and a great paycheck. So it makes too much sense um, if he wants to win and make money. So I think something will get done. I would really hate to see him walk. It would make no sense to me if we should have traded him if we were going to let him walk. So it doesn't make any sense from a front office uh, perspective. It's a silly move. Um, and I think Mahomes will get taken care of next season. They're going to they're gonna unload the Brinks truck on him, and then that's a no-brainer. So. You think he'll take a friendly deal? Absolutely not. I don't think they should. Neither one of them are taking a team-friendly deal. Trust me when I say they're getting every dollar they absolutely yeah. can get. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the question, Billy. Thank you, thank you. Uh, next question comes from uh, good old Shaggy Shane. Shaggy. My boy, my boy. His question is, if the Chiefs sell proper hazmat gear at the team store for your ultimate enjoyment and safety in 2020, would you feel better about your overall experience at Arrowhead on game day, or would you still still sit at home on Sunday saying, F that? Okay, I will say, and I, and I know I brought it up earlier, um, I don't think there's any real – at this time, and I could be wrong because I am not an expert at all, especially in the medical field. Um, I don't think there's any chance that we are at Arrowhead this year, and that really sucks to say. That I, I can't even I, – I don't even know how to, like, explain that. To not even know – a silent Arrowhead, like, that's just – that's unheard of. And um, so to answer – Shane's question as best as I can. If, if, if let's say there was a chance that the Chiefs were able to sell hazmat stuff at the stadium, I mean, it would make me feel better, yes, because of the fact that they're giving us stuff that I feel like would protect me from huddling up next to the 70,000, 80,000 people surrounding me and all the air we're breathing together. Uh, yeah, it would make me feel more comfortable. I, I just don't see with all the potential lawsuits and everything else surrounding the situation that there's any chance in hell that ever even comes to that. Um, either we come up with a vaccine before the season starts whoa, whoa, whoa. or, or there, yeah, or, or yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everybody that triggered. Yeah. Um, but it's either, it's either they come out with something that's proven that can actually help people and, 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 and withstands the, the virus, or there's just no fans in the stadium this entire season. So I, I just, I, I'm going to go with, uh, the fuck that option. That's what I'll go with. You're damn right, I'll rock a red and gold hazmat suit or an astronaut suit. I'll be there. Nah, um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it depends, man. There's so much in the air. There, with the cities getting ready to open back up all, you know, across the U.S. and a lot of spots in the U.S. with Kansas City and, and uh, metro area possibly opening up here pretty soon in the next week or two, um, at least some of it. It depends on how this reaction if there is a reaction, if there's a second wave, if this prolongs it, it makes it worse. You know, if you know, if we look stupid for doing that, um, it depends. There's so much up in the air right now. Things could clear very fairly quickly, or quickly, or things could you know drag out. We don't really know. Um, I really hope they can have people in the stadiums. I mean, because that's what's football without the roaring fans of Arrowhead, man. This is going to be so bizarre. Um, but I mean, for me, even if even if we can be there, I, I'm pretty sketchy about being around that many people, you know, after all this stuff's taken place. So, eh, it's a touchy thing, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they sold the proper protection stuff there, it still doesn't make too much of a difference it, with, with us still not being very knowledgeable about this outbreak and what it is, you know, could it possibly evolve to. So, I'll probably be watching from my living room for a little while, to be honest. Yeah, same here. Thank you for the question, my brother. Thank you, thank you. Uh, next question comes from Donnie Couch. There, there he Donnie. is. There he is. Donnie Couch. 
Jeez, number three. Uh, it says, hey guys, so I just watched the movie The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly this week on Netflix. And mm. it's an incredible movie, and it made me realize that I need to ask you, ask you guys this. Which one of you is the good, the bad, and the ugly? I'm ugly as fuck. So I'll take that credit. And, and if I'm a betting man, I bet Donnie already gave his... He did, didn't he? God damn you. God damn you, Donnie. Donnie put his own rankings, didn't he? And let me guess, I'm the ugly. Yes. I knew it. That <laughs> son of a bitch. You know what, man? That's it. You're banned from Toothpaste for a month. Fuck that, Donnie. I hate that I was right. Shit. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's an interesting question. I wasn't ready Damn for that it. one. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I guess Lance is the ugly. So I'm we, mad that I'm right. We've confirmed that. Um, I'm definitely the bad, and, and you know, yeah, I guess we'll go with Eddie's the good because uh, you obviously got fans. You obviously have fans. I know. You, you being the backbone of the show and all. Legend Ed over here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it. He is the celebrity. He's hanging out with all the fucking A-listers. Yeah, exactly. They all feel bad. I mean, we got mixed emotions, though, because Billy Hodge jumped in on that, too, on yeah. this question. Billy, uh, don't do me, Billy. Donnie Couch, Donnie Couch goes, Eddie the bad, Trevor the good, Lance the ugly. Oh. You're ugly as fuck, dude. I, you apparently. Are. I don't like you. Ugly son of a bitch. And <laughs> Billy Hodge ranked it the good. Eddie, Eddie the Great. Oh, how shocking uh, is that? Eddie, the great is Eddie the Hodge over here, Lance you know. Lance is the fugly. Yeah. Bad to Trevor and ugly Fuck you. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, know you guys. Bro, I got double down as the ugly one. Should I, should I wear the helmet from here on out? Like, what the, the fuck? Lance got the dunce cap here. Yeah. yeah. Eddie, you just need to run the show now, dude. Why am I even here just to be the ugly candy? <laughs> huh? It's insane, man. You're so, so ugly. You're cute, Lance. You know they call it eye candy. You know, like that's I'm the ugly. That's like that's how ugly you are. I'm like that. I'm like those strawberry, fill, you know, those cream filled hard candies that no one eats that they're at your grandma's house. Oh, yeah. I'm that. That's what I am on this show. That's I'm used toilet paper. What is happening? Thanks, Billy and Donnie. Appreciate you guys. Right. We're getting, you're getting blocked. <laughs> All right, Donnie Couch has uh, one more question for you guys. What do you think of the Chiefs putting Alex Smith in the Ring of Honor? I know Lance's opinion on that. And what did you think of Project 11? And we kind of touched on yeah, that. Yeah, Project, Project 11 was amazing. Uh, we, I definitely appreciate appreciated the transparency from the Smith family. That was awesome. I have a, a, new, a whole new profound respect for him, and I already had a lot of respect for him as a person beforehand. So credit to the directors, writers, and, and the Smith family uh, for Project 11. Uh, the Ring of Honor. Look, the, the way I see it is this. If, if the Chiefs decide to put Alex Smith in the ring of, ring of Honor, it will make sense because of the fact that he is, unfortunately, one of the greatest quarterbacks in Chiefs history. That is factual. So if they ever decide to do it, I'm not going to be upset in that regard and in that context. What I will be upset about is if it happens before uh, several other players that are not in there yet, like Derek Johnson, like Jamal Charles, like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill – all those names need to be in it. Now you can sit there and go, well, a lot of those guys are active. Exactly. I don't want Alex Smith in, that, in the ring of honor before any of those guys because all of them deserve it far more and far quicker than Alex Smith did. I, I'm praising the man, but if I can be real for a second, let, let's just be real for a second, guys. The Chiefs didn't even draft him, and they won nothing with him. So it's not like this guy had some incredible run with the Chiefs. Yes, they won a lot of games. That's because it was under the Andy Reid era. If we would have still had Todd Haley or Herm Edwards or Romeo Cornell as our head coaches, the Chiefs aren't winning shit with Alex Smith. It would have just been more of the same. 
So although I get it and I understand from the from the sentimental aspect of things that, that him going to the Ring of Honor does make some sense, there is no way in hell he deserves to get in there immediately. You need to wait for – there's a waiting list, damn it. There have been some great players that are still not on that Ring of Honor. Until those guys are there, I'm saying hell no. Yeah, I mean, as far as when he gets in there, do I think – I don't really care about when he gets in there or if, whatever. I Do I think he will – be on the Ring of Honor? Yes. Do I think he should? No. I don't think he should be. Because I feel like, I think he will in this sense because of the respect that not only the head coaches, Andy Reid, and the front office during the time of his, his duration here, and, every, and the fans, obviously, a lot of, most of the fans here loved Alex Smith, regardless if we won or not. We were okay with, the, with you know, making the playoffs and, and getting bounced. For some reason, a lot of fans were okay with that. As much as I love Alex Smith as a person, we just discussed this in the last segment. Like, he's a great guy. He just was never the guy that was going to get us there. Um, do I think he's possibly deserving of being on the Ring of, Honor, Ring of Honor? Sure. Because I think there's some guys that he's better than that are on that Ring of Honor possibly that he might be more deserving because he did more as far as contributions to a team making the playoffs. Because there's some guys that are on there that weren't even on that great of teams. They were just individually good or great. Um, so I do think he will get there. Um, I personally don't think he really belongs there. That's my opinion. That's it. Okay. <clears throat> well, and we got one more question. Last question. Comes from Jeremiah Joe Murray. Should the, Chief, should, should the Chiefs try to sign Larry, Larry Warford? Warford? Yeah, we talked about. Well, we were talking about this off air before the show started tonight when I, when I saw that they had, uh, the Saints had released him. Going to be 29 years old, offensive guard, one hell of a player. Uh, he's stayed fairly healthy throughout his career. I think he's missed like six games in his entire career, a little maybe more than that over his seven-year career. Um, if the Chiefs could get him, yes, absolutely. The problem is that they're not going to be able to spend the money that it's going to take to pick him up. There's going to be teams out there that are going to be bidding for Warford. He's going he's gonna to make 13 to $14 million a year easily, yeah. and the Chiefs are not paying him that. So I, as much as a, as much of an awesome addition he would be, and he would be an awesome addition, it's not happening in camp. I'd be absolutely shocked if the Chiefs spent that kind of money on him. Yeah, I would, I would love it because the addition of him would make this team <laughs> even more scary than we already are, being the best team in the league right now. Um, but I think he's going to end up on the team that has the most cap space in the NFL, and that's the Cleveland Browns. And it just makes too much sense for the Cleveland Browns to protect uh, um, um, Baker as much as possible. Um, and just add to the depth of that what they have over there because I think they're building something that could be good over there, and I still believe in Baker, and I think that would be a good piece because they have a lot of money to spend, and there's not much free agents out there that are worth spending money on right now, and he's definitely maybe the top of the list right now um, outside of maybe bringing in Cam Newton to cause some kind or of current Jadavion Clowney. Or, yeah, possibly, but Jadavion Clowney, I don't know if he's really proven his worth over the last couple of years, if I'm being honest. like He's a, he's a solid player, but he's also dealt with injuries. I'm not going to dive into that, but I think – they, can, they have enough cap space to go get both of those guys right now, honestly. They have a ton of cap space. So I don't know what they plan on doing with that. I think that would be the perfect move for them right now to add depth to the offensive line there. So, um, yeah, I, I think the Browns are going to end up nabbing them. We'd love to have them here, though, for sure. All right, that is it for Monday Mailbag. Thank you all so much for the questions. I really do appreciate it. Uh, even though I am the ugly shit on the on the show, I will take that as an L. And speaking of Ls, uh, guys, what's, what's next? Hold this L!
I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> Le him, the her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man. Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, oh pulsating L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant bastard. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this L. any more of your time guys it's been a long night and again we do want to apologize for some of the audio and technical difficulties we have had but again i do promise you that will not be the situation ever again um eddie who is holding the l for you this week this is gonna be a fun l uh i'm gonna give it to earl thomas uh, mm. why <laughs> yeah do, do tell eddie do what, tell. what's what's going on at well, earl thomas's elaborate there was there was a story that was released last night mm. uh, late last night uh by tmc who said that uh, Earl Thomas and his brother were having an orgy at a house? Not his brother, as in a friend. His... Uh, no, no, no. Like oh, his, okay. His uh, biological brother. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, they I, share blood. They share blood. Name, right? It's and fucking weird. Yeah. They might have been running a wobbly H on somebody. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> somebody else gonna go. Thanks ahead. for the visual, Eddie. <laughs> he was. He was found by his. Wife, I'm sure it's gonna be ex-wife. Why did you say his wife? Wife, <laughs> my wife. It's, gonna, it's soon to be ex-wife. Okay, I think, uh, who held him at gunpoint, but she said she, it was just to scare him, so she took uh, the magazine out. That's an extreme role play there. But forgot man. to realize that uh, there was a bullet in the chamber, and she had the gun pointed at his head. Uh, they, were, they, they said about a foot away mm. from his head. And she also said that the hoes that were there were going to get it, too. Yeah. I got something for your hoes. Yeah, exactly. Something so like that. Yeah. the whole situation, everything, but the grossest thing, the grossest part of all, all that is having an orgy with your brother. Yeah. I think. Brother, they did a DNA test, and they found out that he and, he and his brother are related to the Lannisters of Game of Thrones. Yeah. So it's it not sense. that weird not if you that think weird, about it. It makes sense, I guess. But, yeah, he's just going to have to hold this hell. Hold it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, he's holding something, I'm sure. He's holding his brother. He didn't have a bullet in the chamber, <laughs> she did, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. Him and his brother were holding each other's L's. Anyways, uh, yeah, so my L. <laughs> uh, it's been a long night, people. It's been a long night. <laughs> um, Way to go, Eddie. Yeah. Give MJ some dap on that one. Yeah. So is it my turn? Yeah, it's your okay. turn. Okay. fucking sad. Uh, <laughs> My L, I, I meant to speak on this last week, um, and a shout-out to our, our brother Rob. Me and him talked about it after the show. He meant to ask a question. He was going to ask a question um, this week regarding this topic, but I figured I would just bring it up because I think he forgot to anyways. Um, he wanted to talk about oh, – basically, my L is going to go to Draymond Green. From I don't know if you guys heard about a, lot, what, a week ago, a week and a half ago. Yeah. He was on the um, – all the uh, all the Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes and uh, um, Steven Jackson. It's a good podcast. They have really good guests on there. It's really good, candid conversations. Um, unfortunately, they had the the episode with Draymond Green on there. Um, his yeah. If you didn't catch it, he went on to 
talk about his career, you know, how, how it's gone with the Warriors and when he was drafted and the camaraderie with that team. Uh, all good stuff. It was good. Until he got to the point where he was talking about how um, he called himself the best defender of all time. Yeah, he said that. Uh, and then um, he also went on and delved into how saying him first, he used his name first, talking about how he changed the game along with, no, the, with, with the help, with, yeah. along with the help of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. He mentioned himself first as if he's, yeah, you know, yeah, with the help. They helped him, right? They helped him. He didn't help them. He mentioned his, his name first, Draymond Green. Um, so, yeah, Clay Thompson, you know, the guy who has the record in the NBA for scoring the most points in one quarter, which is 37 fucking points in one quarter. Fuck you. That guy. Yeah. It was against OKC. Hey, hey, give respect where it's due. 37 points in a quarter is absolutely absurd. Give my respect. It's absurd. <laughs> uh, and then I don't even need to why, – why would I even need to talk about the resume of Stephen Curry, who single-handedly changed the game and brought an absolutely new aspect to the game um, with a lot of players coming in nowadays wanting to mimic their game around him, which is beautiful, and I love it. Steph's a great dude and a great player. Um, but Draymond Green – Coming on a podcast, saying words out of his mouth, that mouth-breathing mouth of his, uh, saying that he changed the game, that he's the best defender of all time. I understand, man. You know, you want to smell your own farts. You want to call yourself, you know, the, you know, you, you feel confident in yourself as, you know, as a pro basketball player who's had success, whether it is or isn't on the coattails of someone else where you believe that your coattails were the ones being ridden. My guy, um... I was embarrassed for you when you were saying that. I'm pretty sure every other player in the NBA, when they heard you say that, was embarrassed for you because they know you. I don't know you, but I know what I've watched of you, and you were carried along. I mean, I know you played your part. You were, you're a very good passer. You're a good defender. You're an essential part of that team. Don't get me wrong. But you weren't the essential part of that team. You were third, maybe fourth at times to Iguodala because Iguodala was making big clutch moments in those playoff runs that you guys had, in those big-time you know, the 73-1 season. Iguodala was a big part of that as well. Bigger than UN moments. And you're averaging your single, or your, your, your triple single, you know, with, that, with the vacancy of those guys behind you, carrying you. And you want to talk, talk about your, you're the one that changed the game along with the help of those guys? Get real, my man. So you have to do me a favor and hold this big, fat L tonight and do me a favor. Hold this L. <laughs> Trevor wanted to say it twice, so he got his I had own. one beer, guys. He got he got his own L, and then he wanted to make sure we joined in right. the festivities. I was well. so I just can't believe did I can I can't believe those words came out of my did guy's we, mouth. Did man. we get a chance for comment from one of Katie's burner accounts on these comments? I would well, love yeah. to know what Katie's thoughts are. I didn't even I didn't want to mention Katie. I'm talking busy? about I'm talking about the run with this Clay. Yeah, and I was gonna Steph. say Katie's too busy, probably like chatting up with like some nine-year-old JV player, you know, talking about Whoa. Who, who's the greatest player of his generation. He's so. hanging out. He's, uh, he's, hanging, he's hanging out with the, he's hanging out with Earl Thomas right now. He's, no, I'm saying like KD is so no, caught no. up on, on his, on his mentions. He's on Xbox live. He probably doesn't even, he's probably not even aware of these said comments from Draymond yeah. Green. I, I would love to know his teammates thoughts on these, on these comments. Cause I, they're going to play the whole, like, Oh, it doesn't matter type of thing. But you got to think Clay and Steph, they're probably looking at him like side like motherfucker for real. Yeah. You've been a role player. Your ass is gone next season. Yeah. Jesus, man. So speaking of tweets and speaking of social media, I'm sure that you guys are all fully aware that with the good comes the bad in social media. And, and there, there is some people that I would like to consider out of touch. And I'm going to, I'm going 
to try to tread on this one lightly because this guy is kind of a legend here in Kansas City. And, and, and for the most part, I, I've loved his work. In fact, he, he's, a le- he's a legend at what he does, and he's had an incredible run this last year. Uh, but my, my, guy is, my guy is in the line of an L this week, and, and it's because of the fact that he was vague and beyond vague on social media uh, this last week. Um, in fact, on the 6th of this month, we got a random tweet from Mitch Holtis that said, unprecedented, quotes, in quotes, at least since 2002, move coming? With a little question mark emoji. Uh, Regardless, some form and substance coming from information from hashtag Chiefs Kingdom, along with Chiefs Reporter, which is BJ Kissel, we will announce 2020's Chiefs schedule at 6.15 Central Standard Time. Chiefs YouTube, Twitter, Facebook pages, and latest from MD Chiefs for fans. So, obviously, you can read half of that and go, oh, they're going to announce the schedule and all that, so that's really cool. But there's this portion at the beginning where he talks about this unprecedented move coming, at least since 2002. So that got everybody speculating on what that meant. And in 2002, from what I remember, there was a realignment in the NFL. I believe the Seahawks had moved from the AFC West to the NFC West. Maybe I'm mistaken on that, but there was a realignment in the NFL at that time. So everybody was starting to speculate, oh, there's something coming. And Mitch Holtis, for some reason, knows this and is is kind of breaking this news. Only for Mitch Holtis to not break the news. Literally nothing came of it. Nothing came of it. Thanks, bitch. He, he, I, I've been looking at I mean, I've had people hitting me up constantly about this. Hey, bro, did you hear anything about what Mitch Holtis was talking about? There's literally nothing that came of that. And, and, and as much as I respect Mitch, and I, I really didn't want to say anything about this, you, you can't be vague on social media when you have a platform as big as he does and the following as big as he does and, and, and do something like and lay an egg like that, especially when you're not somebody who's known to break news anyway. When you're not even known to be that guy. It's one thing if it's Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter or Therese Paler. It's one thing if it's those guys. But even their peers, like Jay Glazer, who's one of the best in the world at this, fucked up a couple weeks ago and talked about, you know, we got massive news. He talks about some guy tested positive coronavirus who's like, hey, player you don't know about. Yeah, some offensive lineman from the Rams. I'm sorry the guy got COVID-19, but nobody really gives a fuck if we're being real. So, so Jay Glazer fucked up on that. That should have been a note taken from a guy like Mitch Holtis, who's not known to do these types of things, breaking news. My guy Mitch, love you to death, man. I've known you since I was, ni- I think, what, 1993 is when he took over for Kevin Harland as the Chiefs play-by-play guy. But, dude, don't, stay away from social media if you're going to do stuff like this because all you did is piss off fans. And I, and I can loud. show you texts, man. I've had texts from Chiefs. I'm not going to out these people, but I'm letting you know you pissed them off from old to young. And, and just don't do that shit, man. But in the meantime, let hold, let go of the Twitter and go ahead and hold this hell. God, that sucks to say, but it's it, it, it was it was due, my dude. I'm I'm so sorry. You put this on yourself. You asked for it, my guy. So I, there's nothing I can do. I'm just a man of the people here. It is so, what it is. It, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's that bad. But yeah. you know what, guys? In all actuality. Despite some of the hurdles we've had to come over, come you know over tonight, I really want to thank you guys for listening and tuning in. I saw there's quite a few people on the stream. I, I really do appreciate you guys. Uh, it, it was rough, but we we've had a lot of fun. We got to cover a lot of things I wanted to talk about. Like I said, guys, this last dance has been awesome, and it's only going to continue to be awesome. And I, I cannot wait to to talk about the finale finale of all of this when it all comes down. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that as well. So again, we really want to appreciate all of the all of you guys who have been a part of this, regardless of when. 
opportunity came around. The fact is you're here now with us, and we couldn't thank you more. So for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for Brandon Twidwell, who's been helping us out all night long on the production side of things, I'm Lance Twidwell, and we are here in episode 63, and until episode 64 arrives, we out of this pitch. Bye, go. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to Spoke. I might actually stick stick around for a little bit.